February, uh, February 27, 2024. So thank you everybody for making time and being here. Uh, call to order, number two, roll call. Uh, number wait. Uh, member Hoppies. Oh, Hoppies here. No, Hoppies, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Uh, member Sweet, I believe, is excused. Is that right? Sorry. Excuse me. Uh, Daryl Sweet is yes. excused. Yes. Right. Uh, member Quigley. Yes. Member Anderson. Uh, guy has reached out to me and uh, Karen. I believe I attempted to bring you into that loop. See, yeah. even I could have made a mistake, but Perfect. yes. No, I think you did. Um, uh, Chairman D? Yes. Uh, Member Frederick? Here. Member Coney? Is. Sorry. He's actually. Resi in process of resignation or has okay. resigned. Uh, <clears throat> Letter status flow. I think I'm working off of an old room. Um, member Norton is excused, I believe. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Got to kick it out a little bit more. We're having a way out here. Well, is... Member B. Miller. Here. All the hearings are down here and they're turned down. Uh, Vice Chair Goslin. Here. Uh, member Campos. Here. Uh, member Farhad. Excused. Excused, okay. Um, and members, uh, Karen Sweet was excused as well. Okay. Yep. Uh, member Hoopman? Not excused. Got it. Uh, member Moore? Yep. And member Roberts? Here. Okay. And I, um, since I'm working off of the full roster, have I got all of the members so far? Have I missed any? All right. Uh, I took members. Um, Kathy Roach. Um, LQ Rank. Here. Uh, Nan Ho. It's right here. Dana Berry. Yes, here. And staff present. Um, yes, we do have four. Uh, record flex, we have a quorum, and uh, I will always point out how great of a job Karen Sweet does, and she's not here to uh, help to answer the flow of questions as it goes and comes with uh, basis we have. So uh, we have a forum, and then let's prove the minutes, and then during the open forum, I'm going to say hi to Rob, uh, say hi to Allie, like just sort of welcome, we're in a transition with new people here in the likes. Um, so, but going through in order with the approval of the minutes, there are three attachments there. And has everybody had a chance to read said attachments of the three meetings? Jan 16, Jan 23, October 24. Going back a ways. Does anybody have any questions, clarifications they'd like to make? Hearing none, entertaining a motion. Mr. B. Miller moves. Second. Second by Mr. Campos. All in favor by a verbal yes. Yeah, yeah. Anybody opposed? Record shows passes unanimously. Open forum. Any member of the audience may address us. We are members, I mean, of the public, excuse me. Uh, we are members of the public as well. 
and can use this time. It should be agenda items not on the regular agenda. No action or discussion may be taken. First, I'd like to open it up to the public. Anybody want to say anything? Yes, sir. Good evening. My name is Chuck Meadows, and after the meeting, uh, I'm actually here in the water court protection ordinance soliciting input and recommendations and suggestions. As, as some of you may be aware, the ordinance is up for amendment and I'm trying to sort of find common ground in terms of rural, semi urban, and urban stakeholders, for lack of a better term, in terms of what they need to see so that there's an ordinance that goes through that meets. A larger number of people's needs and return. So, if you're available afterwards, I'd love to chat with you. Maybe so, I'm talking in smaller groups. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I had a chance to accept a cup of coffee with Mr. Meadows and just talk through, talk through, talk, live, and learn. I encourage dialogue and discourse. Y'all were having some in there before, and uh, and was uh, it was worth my time of the education and not all solutions fit all things. We're in a weird complex county of how it flows and goes and how we look at that and just continue to make it all work together. But one size clearly does not fit all throughout, but I endorse having a conversation with Mr. Meadows on all fronts. It's, uh, it's for fundamentally, we all believe in clean water is a good thing and clean watersheds and healthy watersheds. And we have an obligation in the protection of agriculture on rural lands and here doesn't mean here as it goes. And so I've heard good discussions ongoing and uh, dialogue and discourse is a good thing. That is all. Uh, anybody else from the public? Here now, committee members, I would just like to thank Rob Benetton for uh, the service before with AAC and then the service of uh, trying to hurt the cats, working with me, working with us, making us a better place uh, as we move through. So thank you, thank you, thanks. Is there anything you'd like to say? Or you're just going to be just I couldn't have picked a better person to take on the efforts yeah, with the ag advisory than Allie. So honored to have that happen. Right on. And Allie, very welcome. Thank you so much for what you do and just watching the body of work, right? How sausage is made of getting these new, not new, in some cases new, but with the climate action, with the arena numbers, the housing element, the various parts of the general plan. I know you're not working on all of them, but just the consistently flowing through, and it's no small volume of work. So we very much welcome, I very much, we, I do believe, very much welcome you because we want to continue to help. And I personally say it publicly, and when we get together, I'm in service of, I want to help you, help us, help the committee continue to move things forward. So thank you. Thank you. Liz. I was wondering if it's okay with everyone if uh, Allie could just take a minute or two to uh, talk about her background, especially with agriculture. Please. Yeah, so um, I know I've met most of you. Am I speaking loud enough? For the yes. Of, okay, perfect. Uh, I've met most of you before in previous presentations. I've been with the planning department now for about five years, but prior to that, um, I was farming for about 10 years um, throughout Oregon and um, on the peninsula, and I did sort of a combination of um, uh, running like small scale educational farms and then working on, on like working farms um, uh, on the San Mateo coast. So I've been really excited about um, agriculture in rural and urban spaces for a long time. I'm excited to get to, uh, to move into this space as well and learn from all of you. Um, 
my, my master's is in environmental studies with a focus in sustainable food systems and ecology. So just a little bit about uh, my background. And then um, since I've been with the planning department, I've been working mostly on environmental uh, justice and climate related projects. Questions? Thank you very thank much. You. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Liz. Good to see you. Thank you for being here and thank you for what you do and everybody else that makes golf well. Um, anybody else from an open forum standpoint? Well, one thing, um, there was a um, bill passed at AB 43, which um, is um, allowing local jurisdictions to work on speed limits. And um, some of these agricultural areas, um, speed limits are like particularly Castro Valley, parts of Brook County Road, 50 miles an hour. Um, and other parts up for 45. Um, this AB 43 is going to allow public works to work with the uh, folks in lower and speed limits. Typically, when they do a speed study, a change of speed limit, it, they can raise it and it has to be with 85 percentile of what the cars are driving. So they, they end up going up, not down. So if everybody's speeding on a 40 mile an hour road to 50, then they raise the speed limit to 45. So this new regulation is gonna allow speed limits to go down five miles an hour. So particularly in the Castro Valley area, we're working with the CHP to get out and start giving some tickets to slow everybody down. And then we'll start a speed study when everybody's behaving themselves and following the rules. And then we'll have an opportunity to slow uh, cars down because in these ag areas, where a lot of animals getting hit. I know that uh, we had a person got killed on a motorcycle, we had a cow. Um, you can't get out of your driveway at 45 miles an hour, you're probably 66 feet per second. You get three or four seconds of time to pull out if you have cattle or horses, just amount of time in the canyons. So um, that's going to come about. And I just want to let everybody know because we're probably, uh, you might come to the ag from public works I'll have a conversation about. It. In particular areas that might need a, a change. Heard, understood. Thank you. And uh, yes, Mr. Frederick. 43 in Florida, or you're saying? No, it would be important. I think it starts in June. But that's when you can start your process um, working on your speed limit change. But we don't think it comes in effect until June. Good. Thank you. And uh, I have reached out to Mr. Halpert's office, Sean Wilson, who they sort of co-chair at times the rural road subcommittees that he's rolling through to have them come. That was one of the action items. And I brought that up when I addressed TNP. Um, and Sean is checking into another meeting right here, right now. But as we go forward, so no, for us in terms of the guess of uh, Mr. Wilson from the rural roads update. Good. Anybody else open? Closing the open forum, opening the uh, executive team update, and the I, I had a good meeting, FYI, good meeting today with uh, Albert Lopez on, on all subjects of good government and how the sausage is made and how the documents tie together and and and. So it, I uh, appreciate you all your all's patience as we roll through this. But the purpose of ECAP is. But, uh, the goals and policies in the East County Area Plan are intended to inform decision makers, the, ge uh, the general public, 
public agencies and those doing business in the county of the county's position on land-related issues and to provide guidance for the day-to-day -day decision making. Right, and so it's making it flow and uh, driving towards clarity. Purpose of this initiative are preserve and enhance agriculture and agricultural lands and protect the natural qualities, wildlife habitats, watersheds, and beautiful open spaces of Alameda County. It goes on from excess da, 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 as it flows and really an ordinance designed to have those urban growth boundaries, drive the infill, infill housing when the arena numbers flow up to have that space there. Says it right here, this ordinance is designed to remove the county government from urban development outside urban growth boundaries. Purposes, uh, our purposes is to act as a technical advisory panel of experts and board of suits and other public agencies, including cities and districts on matters involving the economic enhancement of agriculture and environmental conservation on applicable agricultural lands in Alameda County. And to implement the requirement of Measure D is to convene this group. Uh, midway through this one, the record reflect that Mr. White has joined. Thank you. Um, regular members shall be technical representatives of their profession or fields and advocates for economically and ecologically viable agriculture and open space in Alameda County. Shall be demonstrated expertise by documented work in their field of expertise by professional association and or by academic achievement. I'm going to spare us reading every word of the purpose, powers, and duties, if that is okay with everybody. Provide leadership and direction, recommend, participate, undertake and direct, participate, report out, advise and work with, advise and work with, advise, determine our own schedule. So lots of stuff in there and trying to get the right butts and seats for ongoing effective work. So thank you all for being here. Uh, charter, I believe, including pen to paper, and then this. Uh, oh God, you guys can't see the. Uh, I am going through the uh, the presentation of the item as uh, as laid out. I don't know what document that is. Getting towards the end, in God we trust. Everyone else come with data, and the data shows that we're open range and grapes, and the grapes flowing through the wine. Now, recently, some hemp has come up, but that's a two to two and a half horse pony in terms of where the majority of our agricultural economy lies based solely upon the crop report, which noted the equine piece of it, how it all flows and the like. So when we go into that discussion, it's just what that crop report shows and how it flows. So that's my executive update, continuing to uh, be the most effective chair as possible. As always, I welcome feedback in a one-on-one -on -one session, welcome feedback at any time. Certainly, we'll be reaching out for the one-on-one -on -one screen, not screen, we say it that way. And Miranda, I still owe you the follow-up of getting that one done, so I'm publicly acknowledging that as well. And then as new people flow in, look forward, welcome, sitting down, having ongoing discussions. Everybody on the executive team have anything they would like to, any sauce they would like to add to the top of that? Hearing none, uh, second document. Moving on, close and executive team update, open public forum. We're good. Anybody online didn't ask out before the trust. Good, no raised hands on. Closing five, opening six, update regarding the implementation of solid waste, recycling, and organics collection services consistent with SB 1883. Andy Schneider is here, accounting waste <laughs> program manager. Thank you. Oops.
Got to get here early to get a seat at the table. Good evening, Chair and Committee. My name is Andy Schneider. I'm the new Waste Program Manager. Um, it's a newly created position. I've been in a temporary position for one year with CDA, working with Liz and Allie. And my primary role is to implement and coordinate SB 1383. I know that we've all heard about SB 1383 for um, a couple years as it's uh, major legislation affecting waste and virtually every generator in the state. Um, SB 1383 has some overarching goals to um, basically reduce methane emissions from landfills. And what we've learned over the last few decades of waste management is that plant debris and food waste don't just silently decompose in a landfill in an anaerobic setting. They're actually, um, without any oxygen and management, actually generating quite a bit of methane and affecting the climate in the world. So California has taken the bold steps to try to get as much of this relatively easily divertible plant debris and food waste out of the landfill bound waste drainage. And that's done through um, transfer stations, establishing clean green piles for self haulers and landscapers, but it's also achieved by promoting curbside collection of three materials, that is garbage, recycling, and now what we call organics. Um, we, in the industry, we used to call it compost, but that's not really what we're putting in the cart. We are putting organic materials, plant debris and food waste and food soil paper in the organics carts in order to generate compost, which can then become a usable nutrient rich organic product that can be used in agriculture and um, landscaping. So um, that is the primary charge of 1383, but there's also a component when they look at the waste stream of what's currently being landfilled, there's a lot of edible food that they're finding in the landfill bound waste stream. And so they're targeting large commercial generators that might be generating surplus or excess edible food. Um, in many cases, this is shelf stable, produce and other, other food that's able to be recovered and redistributed to those that are hungry. So it's a win-win. We'll learn a little bit more about the different county departments that are, are assisting with this. Our primary charge at CDA is implementing curbside collection for organics for all generators that are required to have it. Calorie Cycle is the state agency that's been given the authority to implement 
and enforce on jurisdictions. Um, a little background there are unincorporated parts of the county. The um, majority of our populated areas are contained within one of our two sanitary districts, Oroloma and Castro Valley Sanitary. Um, and, but we've got a number of uh, semi-populated and rural areas surrounding Livermore and Pleasanton and a handful of other areas where there are currently no hauler agreements in place or they're not compliant hauler agreements. So as 1383 was taking shape, Calvary Cycle identified Alameda County as a jurisdiction of its own, um, where our sanitary districts are doing their own reporting on compliance for 1383. And now the county has to create a waste program, create a waste program area, and staff that so that we're able to bring our hauler agreements into compliance and monitor, manage, and implement SB 1383. 1383 affects every business and every resident in the state. So we may be feeling it a little bit more in our rural populations because curbside collection is not as easy as in an incorporated city already know everyone, it's house to house, curbside collection has been there for a long time. Um, the state has granted us some leeway in developing those agreements and implementing 1383 uh, with a focus on bringing us into compliance, not focus on um, punitive enforcement for us. So it's an ongoing process. Um, the background of the law is that it was um, it was approved um, a number of years ago. Um, final regulations were approved in 2020, giving jurisdictions enough time to plan and implement, work with their haulers on what was needed to, to be done. Um, every jurisdiction in the state was required to be compliant by January 1st of 2022. It's not possible for the county. We didn't we didn't have the hauler agreements in place, but there are numerous other jurisdictions in the state in the same bucket. So um, we're just working with the state to to bring us into compliance. Primary part, as I mentioned, is those SB 1383 compliant hauler agreements. Um, we've got ongoing monitoring and enforcement. Um, we've got outreach requirements, record keeping and reporting. Uh, there's also procurement of compost and organic waste products to try to close that circle. Um, if we're not, we don't create a market and a need for compost and mulch, diverting all this material won't have any benefit. So there's a built-in requirement that jurisdictions are procuring a huge amount of organic waste products for use in their own county or city facilities, for public distribution and giveaways, and um, something that you'll hear about at a, at a future meeting if you're not already aware. Um, the county is working with Alameda County Resource Conservation District to create a compost to ag program where we'll be able to deliver much more volume of organic waste product to 
needy um, entities in the county and begin to meet that target. Um, there's also requirements that, that counties and cities um, are procuring recycled content, paper goods, and other things. So it's a very wide-reaching law that affects a lot of different departments. As I mentioned, there's the Edible Food Recovery Program as well. We'll touch on that a little bit more. When we say organics, when the state refers to organics, it's four distinct categories. It's any plant debris, including large wood waste and other, other branches. It's any food scrap, whether it's meat-based or not. It does not follow our backyard composting guidelines. Any food waste is required to be diverted. Food soil papers are napkins, paper towels, um, sometimes generated in a, in a commercial establishment, but certainly from our homes. And then untreated wood waste like pallets and crates, which in many cases are just going into a landfill bound container. There's not very good recovery for that material once it's in the, in the garbage truck. So all of those materials need to be addressed and diverted and can no longer be just placed in the garbage. Can I ask one question? Sure. Is, could you go back? I want to use the same terminology we did. Is, oh, wood soil paper is, if it is coated, does that count? They're actually quite light on the requirements for food soil paper. No one will get a violation for putting a paper towel into the garbage. Um, we really need to look at what's acceptable in the, in the commercial compost feedstock. And coated papers are not often um, desired or allowed in the compost facility feedstock. So we're at a strange crossroads where the, the state really wanted us to be far reaching on what we could divert, but we really got to look at the operational reality of what's able to be composted locally. Manure is an excellent example. They don't want it landfilled, but there's not a good diversion opportunity yet. So um, the papers were not really focused on. It's just an item that can be included in the organics waste stream and coated papers, not usually. If you can't tear it, it definitely shouldn't go in there. But I, I don't want to extend this too much, but I'm thinking of the kind of paper products you get from uh, delivery, restaurant deliveries, for example. It's it's you know it's white paper usually on the outside. If you look in the interior, there's a shiny, probably plastic coating on it. And yes, that's always I always have the question: Is this compostable or not? Yeah. I mean, we used to compost milk curtains. Those are not wax materials. Those are polyethylene-coated papers to make them food impenetrable. So similar to your to-go container. I, I think the jury's still out on that. There's a big issue on PFAS and some of these other chemicals that, that um, make a leak-proof container. And we're just really trying to focus first on the service and there's new laws coming out which will clearly identify what items can be labeled as recyclable and compostable. And so we're gonna have to get back to you on that. It's gonna take a couple of years to iron that out. In the meantime, feel free to put your uncoated paper, like napkins and paper towels, in the organic started in that one. Um, 
multiple agencies involved. CDA, Community Development Agency, is the lead on the coordination of the overall effort, our record keeping and reporting to the state, um, implementing organics collection for all generators, ongoing contamination monitoring, and the enforcement if there are generators that are failing to um, abide by the regulations. Then there is um, edible food recovery. The county's only role there is working through environmental health where they're offering the service of providing the edible food generator and edible food recovery organization inspections. 1383 requires that facilities that generate large amounts of food, these are hotels, restaurants of 250 seats or larger, some event spaces, um, hospitals, these huge generators, that if they're generating surplus food, that they have a contract with an edible food recovery agency. So um, the health department is going and doing their normal facility inspections, but also doing these um, edible food recovery records inspections and working closely with Stop Waste and all of the member cities in the county. So that's a larger program. And then the procurement through General Services Agency, we work very closely with them to um, be getting that that used, that, that reusable organic material um, back on the county properties, but also distributed to the community. Is edible food limited to unopened packaged food? Or not necessarily. I think um, produce is a big part of it um, from supermarkets where they're gleaning um, food that is certainly edible, but it's not that presentable. So that's really the target. It initially was um, targeting like shaping dishes from a large banquet and things like that, but the food handling issues surrounding that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask that we, that we hold the questions. You've got them in, get through the presentation, think of your questions, we go around, try and be efficient as it goes. Thank you. CDA has made a number of um, progressive steps towards implementation and compliance with SB 1383. Prior to my time here, our team um, developed the, the ordinance and regulations and those were board approved in 2021. A new waste program website was developed. Um, we investigated, applied for, and were granted a low population waiver for two census tracts in the East County. And that meant that there were fewer than 75 residents per square mile. And unfortunately, that is based on census tracts. So there are some low population areas that are not included in the low pop waiver because they may share their census tract with a more populated city. So it's an imperfect situation, but we were able to get that low pop waiver for two large census tracts east of Livermore. That means we can delay implementation of 1383 at least until that low pop waiver expires in 2027. We are not sure if that will be extended at the time. So we're really focusing on the parts of unincorporated county that are not low pop waived. Um, because we were not ready with full implementation and agreements um, in 2022, 
um, we filed a notice of intent to comply, and that made it made it so we were not um, able to be penalized by the state for not being in compliance already. Um, then they opened the recruitment for the waste man program manager position, which I'm currently sitting in, and that position um, will be created as a permanent position. You can see by the ongoing monitoring and enforcement that we're gonna need that ongoing position, and that'll be created sometime this year. We're currently under a corrective action plan, another cap for you, um, with Calorie Cycle, where we're in frequent contact with them, managing a milestone timeline that is unfortunately very ambitious, and they want to see action, agreements, carts on the ground um, by fall of this year. So we are really um, moving forward quickly to get all of our pieces in place. Um, collection services is our primary focus right now. That means every residential and commercial generator in unincorporated county needs to have three container service if a garbage truck could actually get to their location. Um, there are, the state really wants can I ask you a quick no, no, sir, unless it's really pertinent. Can we wait to the end? I just want to know if LAPCO has to annex in areas for you your garbage pickup and stuff. Yeah, because these areas are already in our jurisdiction. We're not creating a special district or anything like that to provide these services. As I mentioned, um, all generators are required to have three container service unless they qualify for a waiver. This is an important part. All residents generate organics. Not all businesses generate organics. An auto shop or a hair salon is not generating enough organics to warrant a green card at the curb and a paid service. Residents are not that way. So the state has not allowed any waivers for the residential sector. They want three containers at every resident even if you're way out in a rural area. There is the possibility of us to classify some of these accounts that might be large working ranches, for instance, no longer as a residential account, but can classify them as a commercial account that could potentially qualify for a waiver. They would have to demonstrate that qualification through weight tickets of effective cell haul to a permitted facility, um, proof that they don't have any food waste in their garbage can because they're feeding it to their livestock on site or perhaps on site composting. So that's what we're calling alternative compliance methods. And we are considering how to make those available on a case by case basis. This is the map of our waste program jurisdiction. The purple areas are unincorporated parts of the county outside of the sanitary districts. The crosshatched area are the two census tracts that have been approved for the low pop waiver. So we're focusing our, our implementation efforts on the area surrounding Livermore for immediately and soon around Pleasanton in the Sunol, Castlewood and other scattered areas. So that is our jurisdiction where we're now um, required to provide that compliance service. 
As I mentioned, the waivers are only allowed for small, non-food generating commercial businesses. Self-hauling and on-site management of organics is allowable, but is not considered a substitute for curbside collection. So that's an important distinction there. The state really wants to see curbside collection at every generator, unless they're gonna qualify for one of these specific waivers. Um, there's the reclassification to commercial for some alternative methods. Um, we are currently working closely with the hauler in the Livermore area. Um, Livermore Sanitation, longtime hauler, recently sold to Waste Connections. We've had good communication with the new owner. Um, they knew what they were buying, a California hauling company. They know that they're going to need to comply with 1383. So we're in the process of amending our current agreement with Livermore Sanitation. That an agreement since 2012. It was a voluntary service agreement. It did not include all three services in all cases. So we're in the process of amending that agreement with them, ideally to be board approved in May, do an outreach campaign in June, and then roll out in early July to be providing that service to all of their accessible parcels. As I said, that's a voluntary agreement currently, and there's going to be new customers that Livermore Sanitation is going to need to subscribe and provide service to. Likewise, in the Pleasanton area, um, we have no current agreement with Pleasanton Garbage Service. They are providing voluntary service to a few of the communities out there. Um, we are required to have a compliant agreement and provide three container service to all accessible parcels and um, we're hoping for implementation there by fall of this year. Some of the impacts on unincorporated generators are likely collection rate increases. Every jurisdiction in the state is seeing some rate increases for providing three container service. There really is no effective way to route collection of three different material streams in a really cost-effective manner. Um, it's still been proven to be a greenhouse gas benefit, even with sending the three trucks, um, but there are likely rate increases in, in every community, including in un unincorporated. It's also the potential, especially in our rural areas, of excess very visible containers left at the end of long driveways. And we're concerned about that. Um, we're going to be encouraging homeowners to bring their containers in any way that is possible, whether that's on a trailer or in their pickup truck or possibly building a screen. The neighborhood preservation ordinance does allow for screening from visibility from the roadway. So um, we're just hoping to deliver a thoughtful program that doesn't have excess containers, perhaps some sharing of containers where possible, and try to encourage that people remove those from the roadway or the curbside after service. Oh, penalties for failure to subscribe on the generators. 
part of our requirement for implementing 1383 is that we have an enforcement program in place. Right now, StopWaste.org manages a commercial compliance program where large where commercial businesses are required to have all three services, and if they don't, they are currently sent a violation that needs to be paid. Um, that has not been a residential compliance program yet, but the county is responsible as the jurisdiction to penalize any generator, commercial or residential, that fails to subscribe to the required services. Some, some also complex issues with improper sorting of materials. Not many jurisdictions are planning to enforce with penalties on that. We're just gonna to continue to provide the outreach and education, hoping that generators are participating correctly. Um, the state does have the ability to penalize the county if we fail to implement or fail to enforce. So our goal is to provide the, the acceptable implementation and manage that in a responsible but reasonable manner in order to prevent penalties for our generators as well as ourselves. So we're definitely considering the impacts on both the haulers and our generators of implementing this law. Um, our first step is getting those uh, approved taller agreements in place, doing our outreach, our service rollout, developing and continuing the, the follow-up and monitoring, and to keep our committees and our board informed about the, the progress and the process here. Does anyone have any questions or comments? I'm going to take the lead on this one. Thank you very much. Very thorough presentation. There are inevitably a lot of questions going through everyone's head and a lot of things. Uh, down memory lane, when this came up and was passed, I said, Liz, I think we have a subcommittee, another one on this subject. I reluctantly volunteered to chair that subcommittee, sat through a few, realized just the magnitude of implementation. And it's just like, hey, get out of the way. There's nothing we can do in that subcommittee standpoint as we get towards implementation. Um, and then so let that dissolve and said, just get out of the way because I don't understand how this will work. Second, I wanna say is that my family does business, has land, like our livelihood is within these regions. So I deeply care about this and how it's impacted. But what I don't want us to do with all of the bottom of my heart, let's not get into the shades of gray discussion about should it go here, should it go here? I get confused in the airport sometimes and I do that like, try and stay out of that. Can we also try and stay out of the imperfection of the law itself? We as a committee have stipulated this is an imperfect law and it's going to be imperfectly implemented because of the diversity of our region from very rural through this. One size does not fit all, so let's stay out of avoiding, hey, it's a bad law, I don't like it, to keep things moving. If that's fair, you obviously have the right to say any which way you want, um, I just want to keep us on. And uh, let's stay out of, with none of this been challenged, not none of it, but the challenges in court, the how does it work and the likes, right? Anytime a business is going to get a fine, there's going to inevitably challenges and in how it works and as it goes. There's a lot of just unknowns we don't know as it flows through. And so try and keep that, uh, hopefully we keep as brief as possible but have the right discussion. So I'd like to govern this by raising of hands first. We'll go around the hand raised people and then come back to anybody else, go to public, blow back. Does that seem fair? 
just by head nods. So by a raise of hands, who would like to ask a question, address, or say anything on the subject? Miranda. So I don't do anything involving the subscription with trash or anything. That's my parents' responsibility. But I was curious about one thing. So some of the more rural areas that you mentioned, there are long strips of where you have like a small neighborhood, say. Would it be possible for those people to do a group subscription for one or two rather than have one per house where it may be left out or in the way or difficult for one person to move in? We think that is allowable. Multifamily properties, um, usually in dense apartment buildings, certainly share large dumpster and share recycling. They're all compliant. So it is allowable in regulations. I think that that would be an option that we work out with each individual hauler about what's the most efficient collection method for them or possibly the most cost-effective collection system for the, the properties. Okay, thank you. So Michael moved next. So uh, I'm on the um, Alameda County Resource Conservation District and we've done studies using spreading compost, seeing the effects. The, the one thing that I, I haven't been doing it, but the one thing I've gotten out of it is that uh, the compost may be free, the hauling is, and spreading is not. It gets very expensive, and there seems to be reluctance to have that expense. Um, and the other thing is, people who have done that have been concerned about the quality of the compost. Yes. And so if they get compost with doll's heads in it and stuff, they probably are going to go back for the next load. And is how is that going to be all addressed? Or well, first of all, the the transportation and spreading would only be an issue for a large agricultural setting. And RCD is um, I attend those meetings, and we've actually had a San San Mateo RCD. Um, gathering where we learned how they run their compost to ag program and it's a much higher subsidy than our current alameda county rcd is currently proposing so we're looking at that we know that the spreading the transportation the labor is a, a major cost there and the compost may not be free because the compost facilities are making a higher quality compost now they've got requirements on them through 1383 to reduce contamination to an almost impossible standpoint. But the days of 10 years ago where you would just find enough glass and a handful of compost for you to not want to put it on your fields, your crops or gardens, I think that those days are gone. Um, there's higher quality standards, there's chemical testing, but there's also those visible contaminants, mainly plastic and glass. You know, we have to think of what the source of this product is, and it's whatever we all put in there. So um, we've got to trust that the compost quality is improving, and RCD is well aware of that. Colleen is watching that to make sure that we're not promoting something that's going to be a detriment to food crops. So it's, it's definitely an issue. We can all do our best by putting just organic material in the green card because the more automated collection gets, the less oversight there is on what people are putting in their carts. There was a hand on this side of the table, but was, and then Mr. Hopkins. 
Yeah, can you explain what the issue is with the manure and why that's not? Is that specific to a type of manure, horse manure, or all manures? Or I'm just learning about manure. Liz is a great resource on manure because of her work here with, with you all. Um, the fact is that most compost facilities are permitted to accept manure, but they do not accept manure. And I'm open to learning more about that, but the best we can come up with is that on-site management and on-site composting of manure is going to be the best bet where possible because self-hauling a load of manure to um, Blossom Valley or Altamont, one of these permitted commercial food um, compost facilities, I have heard that they do not desire large loads of manure. So it's kind of putting all of us in a catch-22 there. If we're not allowed to landfill it, there's no diversion opportunity. Um, it's really only leaving on site. And if you've got a lot of horses, that may not work. So remains to be seen, but it's on our radar. We're collecting information about how to best manage manure. Ms. Uh, Robbins? Yeah, I just have a real question about this is going to be cost to the producer or the individual. Um, I'm sure it's so much more cost efficient to collect those materials from urban neighborhoods and scattered rural areas. So how is how how are you going to design the cost that uh, you're going to charge uh, rural users compared to dollars? We've got most of our experience now in the Livermore area because we have an existing agreement there. They've got some accounts in unincorporated county that are right next to urban part of, of Livermore. So those rates have traditionally matched those of the city. There's been no difference. But as um, we get further away from the hauler's yard and further between each stop, that collection is just naturally going to be a higher cost to the hauler. They are working out a rate proposal now with us that would have some type of gradation for collection further away from the city center, but we don't have those details yet. So the cost of the individual homeowner will reflect, will reflect the true cost of the haulage. That we don't know. There has always been a real disconnect between what they're picking up um, you know, we used to think the haulers making a lot of money off the recyclables and things like that. It's just not the case. There are there are inherent collection costs to picking up materials, and there's not a lot of profit at the other side. So I don't know if that calculation of true costs can ever be done. Um, our goal is to keep our rates as low as possible while being in compliance. So we're just going to keep moving towards that. I'm sorry, I don't have a better answer at this time. Good, Bill. Yeah, I'm good. Ms. Moore. Yeah, just a couple of quick questions. Uh, in the rural areas, uh, narrow roads are a real problem, particularly on high volume roads. Um, and I've noticed that, um, are they going to come up with a container that can be locked or something? Because animals tend to tip them over and are getting into these food containers and, you know, they're along the road and they become victims of traffic. And um, so it becomes an issue. I was wondering if when they're designing the container, they can be used in a rural area more. Um, since they have to go down 
long driveways and stuff like that with wheels and things like that designed differently because to pick up a container and put it in the back of your truck and haul it down to the road is almost impossible. Yeah. Um, I mean, there need, if we're going to think about the rural community, we need to start looking at the landscape and seeing how can we, you know, not penalize them, but encourage them, you know, to use the system by the right equipment, if they would say. Because, um, and then I'm just thinking that because of the traffic, maybe if they, with their unions that they're working with, a lot of them they have night shifts like three o'clock and two o'clock in the morning and pick these containers up when there's still traffic on the roads. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that I think in the rural community needs to be thought about uh, a little bit more so than the urban area. Um, but I, I mean, I agree. I think it's a great way of doing it. Um, you know, We've got some examples. Lake Tahoe, for instance, they've got a large bear entry issue into the containers. Yep. We're looking at those examples. Those can, those lockable containers are very expensive and probably cost prohibitive for our situation. With our, our aggressive timeline right now, um, one of our owners has already purchased the containers. They will match those of the city but we'll continue looking for things that might work better in our unique rural situation. Um, so as far as the nighttime collection, I don't know of a precedent for that other than in major city centers like San Francisco and others. So, but we will consider it. That's the first time I thought about it. I do have a concern with collection vehicles blocking roadways while they're doing the collection. I've seen how fast the cars drive in some of these rural areas. So. We will make note of that. Yeah. And if you look at a container, like a, there's a company that uh, out of Canada that made a, a drum container that was 40 feet long, and you put your product in one end, and over a period of a week, uh, you get it out. It's about, uh, I think they said 75% composted, and it accelerated the program. Um, there's a lot of innovative. Um, systems available, but probably not useful in our situation in the county. But for individual generators, like Sierra Nevada Brewing Companies doing all their stuff on site, there, there is technology for that. Thank you. Any other hands? I thought that was going to be more uh, robust as it comes, but hopefully my preamble did some okay to keep us on track. Um, and I'm very curious, right, on it, on the impact is large and the questions unanswered. So thank you all. Anybody from the public like to address this one? Um, coming back to me, the, there is a rural services subcommittee of the Board of Soups, or there's something along that line. What role do they play in the structure? I'm just curious. Um, there is a uh, an unincorporated service committee that mainly covers the urban area. So they're they're not involved in in our part of this for the rural area. So that's unincorporated, not a city, but a urban area. Yeah. So very specifically for so unincorporated services committee does apply to most of ECAPs, does it? It's for that side. Thank you. Just my learning as it goes. Already discussed just the rural roads, having that there as it flows of uh, continuing that interface. Heard me say uh, with Mr. Wilson. 
Um, will these be districts formed? Like you said, census track, which is a new, not a new, but seeing how that's looked at and then on those areas, because like if it's true to the user, that poor person on the end of the road versus how it flows to share. And I know they're not totally answered, but will everybody be districted in terms of the share or will there be individual variation? Well, in our WIPS program jurisdiction, we've got county collections on one surrounding Livermore. We plan to develop the county collections on two for Sonoma and Castlewood and others. But are you speaking more of a granular? No, now I want to go further east to the lower populated areas to just understand the essence of the answer. So I can answer it when people ask me. Um, We've got a low pop waiver until 2027. My hope is that it will be extended because I don't see efficient three container collection in the extremely rural areas ever being beneficial. Got to do that life cycle analysis. I just wanted you to say it out loud for the good of the order. I fundamentally agree, right? There's a point where the, the returns are so heavily diminished and then where that point lies is. We're uh, going to pursue those waivers any opportunity we have. Um, we've got to be reasonable as we save the planet. Well said. Any other questions, comments on this subject? Liz? Yeah, speaker online. Online speaker, open forum on the item. The floor is yours. All right, thanks, Ms. Kelly. Um, on this, uh, you know, the way they, they write these laws, they want the, the people to uh, get out a microscope and put their noses, you know, one inch from the paper and not look up, not look around. So um, if you do look, if you do get your head up and look at what's happening, uh, the methane is a worldwide problem. And uh, then it, it becomes, uh, well, worldwide, how does this, how does this stack up? Well, the way it works um, worldwide, uh, the the uh, what is it? The the agriculture and the fossil fuels each use about something like thirty or thirty five forty percent, or emit about thirty five forty percent of the methane, and this decompo decomposing waste is about twenty percent. So agriculture is forty percent, the fossil fuels thirty five percent. This thing it, worldwide is twenty percent. And then as far as uh, which countries are putting out this decomposing waste, um, you know, where, where are the giant landfills that are putting out methane emissions? Well, they, they put up a satellite that goes up and looks, measures, measures these places 14 times a day. And uh, they found that the countries that are really pumping it out is uh, Pakistan, India, ba Bangladesh. This is in order. Um, and then uh, Argentina, Uzbekistan, and Spain. And uh, these are this is where the the methane is coming from. And you don't I didn't hear the I don't see the U.S. on the list. So whatever we're doing right now is not nearly as bad as those other places. Thanks. Thank you any other uh, online? Well, no other raised hands. Anything else you'd like to say, sir? You mentioned one thing in your first statement about commercial penalties, and I'd just like to state that um, that Stop Waste is currently managing those commercial violations now. So if you have not heard from your fellow business owners about issues with that commercial compliance process, I think Stop Waste is managing it very well and working in concert with them on those to verify the waivers 
and do everything we can to bring a commercial generator into compliance. So um, I look forward to working with you and your business to make sure that um, you're as compliant as you can be as well. And I believe that's the case. So I'm, thank you for being a leader. I'm, we're trying, right? And it's the it's the simplicity of all of it or lack thereof is tough. And then we do a lot of on-site composting and we're proud of that. And then just another layer of documenting how it goes and the likes and likes. But fundamentally, no news is good news in my world. It's been flowing reasonably well. So yes. we'll just say that compliments there. There's no problem there. But as it continues to flow and we have a cattle ranch out there too, right? And so how's that going to be impacted as it goes and and So, and then I know there's a lot that could be said about manure and people know way more about manure than do I, but it's a great ongoing discussion to be had. Certainly not right here, right now. So I just want to thank you again for that education. We're here to continue to do the best we can to live in this uh, beautifully imperfect world. So thank you for this. Yes. Well, we're here to listen and learn because you're the, you're the experts. So, um, We'll be open to that input. Thank you very much. Thank you. Closing that item. I've been kicked out of Zoom, but that's okay. Um, update on the letter of the city of Livermore regarding the AAC committee, uh, the city general plan process. And uh, FYI, I addressed Livermore City Council yesterday. Uh, you know, didn't I had uh, the hat of a citizen on for darn certain, but said, hey, this letter is here. They nodded their head. They've seen it. Uh, you know, had uh, Brandon Cardwell, the economic development director of the city of Livermore, who's the general plan update for the city of Livermore is under his. It's under economic development as opposed to CDA. Um, had a conversation with him again and Andy Ross of like we're here in service of and the ongoing communication is a good thing. Well received, I believe. Uh, Tracy, thank you for your work on that. Bill, thank you for the work on that. Nan, thank you for the work on that to get it through. Last thing I ever want to do is put a letter out with that letterhead on signed to it. That's not something that is agreed upon from us. So any questions, comments on that? Well done. Good letter. Very good. Yes. So the, the compliments goes everywhere else but here, but thank you. And then thank you for getting it home. Rob, thank you. You Rob did most of it. Allie and I caught it at the end and got it there. So, you know, thank you because it's what we say that we want to do. And I want to make sure I'm representing us because I have points of view in this world and I want to do a good job here. So I think well received and uh, a format to be duplicated in the right settings going forward. Uh, anybody else on the committee? Open to the public, recognize Mr. Schneider. How are you, sir? Hi, Carl. Um, that's my handouts. It made quite enough. I have 13, so some people will have to share. I'm just intellectually curious from a point of order standpoint of the public presenting across. Is there a number of copies needed? Is there protocols so on managing this correctly? Uh, generally, Sorry. everybody in the room should receive the same information. Um, if they can uh, send us uh, the document digitally, we can post it online and send it out to our mail. So even if you late in the game, emailing me so I could be out in front of the and get us there as well as the event. So does everyone, I want to try and get everyone that has a copy. I have two, so we're there. If many people, anybody need a copy of this document? Yeah. 
So if you don't mind, I'm going to read. I think it will be a little bit more coherent than if I extensively see. Oh, I can see it. You can look down. Don't have to look at me. You can be looking down at the handout. You don't mind for our Zoom participants, maybe to set right next to Carl, so you can be on camera there. Well, there you go. There you go. Good. So thank you for that. Speaking to Schneider, I'm speaking as an individual affiliated with a lot of groups, but this is my this is my own stuff. So I read the AAC letter and it acknowledges uh, Livermore's general plan update process is now taking place and asks to be kept informed about the project. And as some of you know, Livermore has a general plan advisory committee that is considering recommendations to the city council about how the general plan should be amended. One of the recommendations that appears to have strong support among the GPAC members is annexing the land east of Greenville Road all the way to the South Bay Aqueduct, some 1,100 acres of land. The reasoning is that this land should be zoned for industrial use to compensate for converting industrial land inside of the north to housing development. In this way, the city doesn't lose the jobs and tax base that industrial development provides. Now, the AAC might not have an opinion on the jobs and tax aspects of urban development east of Greenville, but it could, and I think should, have an opinion on the loss of high-quality agricultural land in that area. For that reason, I provided a handout that shows the results from a soil mapping tool that the U.S. Natural Resources Conservation Service provides. I use the uh, NRCS tool to map the revised story index soils in the city's east of Greenville focus area, the area being considered for annexation. The revised story index is a measure of a soil's potential for irrigated agriculture. The map you have shows colors according to the in the soil for irrigated agriculture. Dark green soils are excellent, light green soils are good, and other colors are not so good for cultivated agriculture. There are six colors, and there are six grades. The details are in the tables and the charts that accompany the map. As you will see, half the time, we'll look at it. Uh, over half the soils, 55%, in fact, are either grade one excellent, that's 35% of the area, or grade two good, 20% of the area, for cultivated agriculture. Adding the third, um, of the six grades, FAIR brings the total to 80% of the area. Now, some of the acres are already developed. For example, the substation that serves the lab by uh, Patterson Pass Road, uh, and there are some other uses, but at least 50% of the land in the east of Greenville focus area are high quality soils that could be farmed. Indeed, some are now. Moreover, as you all know, there is an irrigation canal going right along the eastern edge of the focus area. There are some 5,000 acre feet of water available to irrigate new land. And so seven acknowledges that one more turnout on the canal is available. In short, this is high quality agricultural land that should be conserved, not urbanized. Once developed, it will never be agricultural land again, similar to what has happened on most of the best soils in the Tri-Valley. Perhaps this committee can call the city's attention to this unincorporated land's agricultural potential 
and urged that it be reserved for future agricultural use. New high quality farmland isn't being made anymore. Thank you. Thank you. We'll press the moment three minutes and that in. Ah, my question is this has, I trust that the city of Livermore has this. The city of Livermore, the GPAC committee, the, the people of whom I speak, or we're not the first ones to. Only a few members who I've talked to individually. And so, got it, if I may, so then on the mechanism on some, on some level, are we the throughput? I understand the point of view where you're asking for, but are we the throughput mechanism to share this with them or I trust it'll get to them as it should, right? It's the city of Livermore's process on it. Keep being asked to go to the GPAC meetings that I've insisted in. But I certainly could have there. I think there's two more. There's one in March and there's one in April. So I can certainly- Go cool. I just wanted to know if this has been shared or not. Yeah, but I hope that this would motivate the committee to provide some more insight into the general plan update process and Governor York, or rather than Heard, understood. You said there is 5,000 acre feet for new land, incremental, truly incremental. No, 5,000 acre feet of water. For new land. That was invaded by tribal conservancy. But that's part of the overall allocation, right? I just want to clear, you said there's 5,000 acre feet for new land, where it's like an implication for new versus there's 5,000 total for the service of agriculture, including the South Valley area plan and various golf courses. My understanding is that a lot of the land, a lot of acre feet are already um, allocated to individual uh, groves, but zone seven still has an additional, maybe it was 4,000 to 5,000 acre feet. Um, I remember 85,000 acre feet that could be available from the canal that's, that wouldn't be taking any away from People who already have an allocation. There's 5,000 acre feet above and beyond that which is already committed. Correct. Even though it may not be being used, it's already been allocated to certain like planted vineyards. Yeah, and so I'm incredulous of that and first time hearing it of what you're saying. I don't, with humility and respect, I don't believe you. And the proof is in the putting it against there because that's doubling of the non potable system if you will right and so it would be great i would love it don't get me wrong i'd love to turn out there so we can irrigate it and make it cool and green and grow stuff and have it so that incremental five thousand cases i'd like to follow up on to truly understand maybe i misunderstood the information that was given to me but the way i understood i'll follow up tomorrow get back to you Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And then I was going to say, yeah, shame on me. I should have gone to you first as the rep of knowing and then go to the water, water infrastructure and anything of any knowledge on it. I was just going to tell you, I drilled six wells there in this uh, area that's at the top of the map in purple. And uh, um, not one of them were usable water. Uh, it's very, very um, salty. Uh, matter of fact, they're going to use it for dust control. And um, if you notice, there's a salt pond over there too uh, in that area. So I, I, I would, this particular area at the top of the map is useless for farmland, you ask me. I can't think of anything that grow unless it's, you know, lives in the ocean. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Got it. And so, like I have heard some people starting to say, as it relates to this, a new turnout north. 
which personally, good, such that there's water that can go to it to irrigate, right? Because cultivated agriculture, intensive agriculture in this area, you have to put water on, right? Or else you have rangeland. And so as we want to do it, it, food grows where water flows, crops grow where water flows. Um, every discussion I've had as it relates to incremental non-potable water has been, no, that's all there is. So now what's that number? How's it being used? So it remains to be seen. And so thank you. Uh, I will shush now. Anybody else from the committee? Bill. You know, thanks. I think it'd be very appropriate, particularly since half of the proposed area soils are good to excellent and are concentrated in the south. I think it'd be very appropriate as a follow up to the letter you sent for you to provide that information to the uh, committee. Um, you know, and hope that they would uh, take that into consideration in their evaluation. And if you do find out there's water available, that certainly seems to be a no-brainer as an excellent site for potential irrigated agriculture in the future. That's that's right in our ballpark to point that out to them. Heard, understood. I guess. Yes, sir. My question is, why didn't the GPAC committee generate this my response is i believe they will as part of the the ongoing like the churning and collection of all of the data and if they haven't i'm sort of with you like take all of the data all of the nuggets all of everything that we know put it in now it's still a slow churn of that data accumulation but the overlay of all these maps the overlay of watersheds the overlay of everything like there we have so much information and power as human species but a slow churn like this versus the ai plug and go which were not there from a government machine learning algorithms and the likes it's still just an incredibly slow and incredibly inefficient process worst form of government except for every other form of government there's ever been right and so it's just how can we drive towards that so yes i will very happily share i very much care about soil i will not share this and stamp this verbatim because i have to go back and reference it do the math across it and the likes i'm barely keeping up and i'm chasing a three-year-old so it's back to just the act of doing but now passing this along as is i'm not comfortable stamping it as aac but i think i agree we should go in and do it and so Anybody want to help in that process of what that looks like? Or do we want to say, no, just here we go. This was received from Mr. Schneider presented at this meeting. Catch one pitching. I think we've got to pitch in two things. One, that it needs some form of peer review. Um, um, That's exactly what I'm saying yeah. for us to pass it forward. Well, because... passing it forward is not necessarily peer review. And so passing it forward with our letterhead, passing it forward with it, any sort of so. But I, I also hear you. You're, you're, yeah, it needs some form of uh, not necessarily scientific vetting, but it sounds like you actually wanted to go forward from this committee. But at the same time, it may lack um, not that it lacks credibility of a certain sort, but it, it, it sounds like you're also saying it, it needs some form of, of professional vetting. Um, um, either by this um, by this body coming out of a subcommittee who would serve as that body to do so. I would endorse that process so that we know it's been, it's been given that due diligence before um, myself endorsing that it just be um, um, promoted from this body. Forward. <clears throat> This is a soil survey from the uh, the National Conservation the National Resource Conservation Service. 
They they probably are experts on this. Yeah, that's that's what it's now old soil surveys. That's that's the full point. Amen. And so first off, in terms of us paying it forward, no, I don't wish that. I wish that the city of Livermore had already done the diligence and has it as part of the discourse, which I believe it is, will be. If not, we will ensure it now based on this discussion, Dora Skippy. So, right, it's freedom of information, democratization of information, wholeheartedly believe in will be done. So now my point is, good point of order is not receiving this document right here, right now, and having that discussion about it, because I do actually really trust all of this data and believe that there's no shenanigans. I'm just saying good and damn sure with people, there's lies, damn lies and statistics, and I've seen keystroke errors in translation of data, and I've seen people just maliciously throw shit up. I'm so sorry. Throw stuff up there. So that's all, right? The due process. I apologize for that. All yes, sir. Those, all of those sheets are exactly the reports that the NRCS tool gave me. I did not transcribe the thing. I just printed out the report that it generated. I understood. There's supposed to be due process of review. So enough said. Got it. Thank you. Heard. Understood. Yes, sir. Just a real simple question. Am I looking at this correctly? It looks like all the best land is the one where the urban spread is occurring. Is this all buildings and roads in the dark green and lighter green areas already? And the poor land doesn't have that urban. I would request we not get into the level of detail associated with this. That's the general plan update and the likes. Yes or, or no. Understood. Yes or no. Anybody else on this? Yeah. Yes, sir. You know, the Natural Resource Conservation Service is a member of the Ag Advisory Committee. And, and so I think the solution we have available to us is to have a member of our committee present this to the committee, and then the committee can weigh on, weigh in as to whether or not we want to present it under our heading. And uh, so, so I think that's probably our best approach. If we were to consider that, I, I think something that needs to be recognized is that Concepts of sustainability point to business viability as well. And one of the reasons there may not be uh, agricultural uses in this area right now is that there is not business sustainability uh, that's possible in the area. That being the case, if that is the case, there are options available to us. And one of the options available is for the public to recognize that they're asking ecosystem services of agriculture. And so the infrastructure to provide that water to this agriculture could be an infrastructure pro project that was handled by LAPCO and uh, led to a community that, or led to a benefit that was recognized as a benefit for the community in the form of ecosystem services. So, so if we are to do something with this information, I, I think we should consider moving forward into a more, um, measured recommendation to the city. Cool. Uh, and I think it's great. I think you're on NRCS board. Are you on NRCS board? I'm addressing Mr. Shiner. Not the RCS. Not the RCS. RCD. Yeah. Oh, I'm mixing metaphors now. I'm going to smile ahead. Um, but I wholeheartedly agree of the can someone else do this, uh, passing this one forward, as opposed to us setting up to review and say, or I can just tell them like, hey, go look at these sources, right? But it's, I'm not a document courier pass through without a due process piece of it, but I fully encourage you getting there. So don't know what to do right now. Uh, it's gonna get to them regardless, I guarantee it. But uh, if anybody wants to make a motion or say anything further. 
I just want to clarify, I, the only thing I did, I, I outlined the, the focus area as well as I could, um, and it's pretty close. It's a little more acres than, than the, the place where it's mapping shows by about 20 acres. Thank you for but that I, clarification. I, That's the exact reason why I wouldn't want to pass them forward. They have to be Area of interest, AOI, and I named the area of interest East of Greenville Focus Area. So that's my only input into this document. Understood. You're saying the City of Livermore's online tool or the RCD or NRCS online tool? It's the NRCS online tool. Right. And so. Right, and it's on get to parcel level, integrate, overlay, and we're all speaking really close to the same language. So, yes, sir. So I think the proposal um, from Dr. Goslin is that um, we take this with a brief memo asking for comment and or endorsement from our colleague from or from the office of in our um, CS. Yes. CS, yes, thank you, NRCS. Um, to get there, just input on that. Um, you said presentation. I would take just even a letter or memo um, on their comment on this in terms of uh, of endorsement, in terms of uh, their perspective um, for us to move it forward. Is is that would would that be acceptable um, to paraphrase your proposal, Larry? Yeah, I think it's a. Acceptable paraphrases. Okay, but just to make, just in terms of process, just to not wrap this up, but I, the chair is asking for what would be a what would be a good process in order to move this forward, and I would support that if there's no other proposal on the floor in terms of how do we move this forward. So, are we able to act on anything? This is a public comment. Uh, being, I try and have everything and we haven't tied off as a potential action item. This is informational item, so I would say probably not much we can do. So in terms of making a motion, I think that's a good thing because it's a worthy follow-up. It's going to get there. It should be part of the system and ongoing process of that general plan update. And I believe that in my core heart, there's no there's no action to be had, and you guys can't stop me from giving it to the city of Livermore. So that's what's going to happen. <laughs> is there a motion on the floor? There is no there's no ability to make a motion because this is an informational item, and so in the future I would prefer it's uh, not. But actually, that might have made it simpler, easier, right here, right now, so we don't have to. But I thought you I thought you said you wanted to have an endorsement from this body to move it, just so that it was, uh, move that we as you forward. I am not going to say use this perfectly. I'm going to say overlay to the parcel level so it's perfect, not 20 acres off, because we have the technology to make it perfect. Now, at the GPAC, which I attended, they were talking about making some of these smaller anyway to cut parcels out of them. So those, those areas of interest, or I forget what they're called exactly, are fundamentally changing as well before they go to the data cranking process of it. As, so, as I understand, so there are changes already. It's going to flow there. Just want it to be right. There's no, from my standpoint, we can close this one because I know what I'm going to do. I've made it clear, and there's no uh, other action to be taken. I thank you for bringing stuff forward. Yes. Uh, would the uh, committee want this or an item about the City of Livermore general plan uh, on the next agenda to discuss any follow up? 
it's an ongoing and warranted thing. I've been guilty at times of just putting stuff up there, putting up, putting this up there on the likes. And so I think probably yes, but I reserve the right to get better and change my mind. But it seems very worthy of being up. Does anybody have anything else, other comments on that? Agree or disagree? Yes, sir. Well, I'd be interested in what Elkie uh, volunteered to bring back on the 5,000 acre, acre feet of water uh, from my historical recollection. Um, we have wet and dry years and some, and the South Bay Aqueduct, which is that aqueduct, uh, serves three water districts, Zone 7, uh, ACWD, and, and Santa Clara is the terminus. Um, and we don't get a 100% allocation very often through that South Bay Aqueduct. So, I'm I'm iffy on the on the five thousand. Uh, you know, a turnout. I would advocate strongly. So long as someone has the ability, you know, and has contracted water rights yeah. to pull yeah. it off, and then there's more. Like it's no cheap infrastructure, but yeah. so be it. It's only pipes and gate valves, right? It's sure. not overly complex, but. So that's a that's head nods. Anybody in dissent of having this agendized next time? And does anybody see a reason to make it an action item versus the informational? It's actually the informational, it turned out okay. But if we wanted action, so you can say this is part of making an addendum to the letter, have it flow through. I get it. It's just non, it's non-zero from a work standpoint. Any other comments on this item? Do you care who we share this with? It, the cat's out the bag, my man. <laughs> it's like yeah, I know several people on the committee. I think it'd be no problem to share this with them and say, "Have you seen this?" Of course, it'd be no problem. I'm incredulous that he chose to come here versus going there first because that's ongoing. But I welcome because I'm saying we want to be collaborative. So thank you. Like I'm not disappointed. It's it's. I think we're making a mountain out of a molehill. It's an important one. Uh, that was kind of a pond because there's hills, uh, but it's an important stuff as they go in. But it's this process is long and arduous and slow and painful. So I would like to close this item. Any public? Any public? No. Thank you, Mr. Schneider. So close update on the employee housing needs assessment. Planning staff informational item. Who will be taking the lead? Uh, I'll just give a, a very brief update. Um, Rob, let me know about your previous discussions about the, the needs assessment that, that you'd like to do and um, uh, how that can be done well, with the cooperative extension and, and the ag department. Um, we, uh, the planning department uh, appears to have money in the budget as long as it can be done for uh, less than $25,000 um, to do the assessment. So, um, we will be working with uh, Sheila and Kathy to figure out the mechanics of how to get this going and um, get the, the process designed so we can go forward with that and we'll we'll keep you updated on that progress. I am behind in reading, admittedly so. Uh, is from a collaboration share. The TBC is uh, doing some work in this one as well. There are some documents that were shared on the subject. Those are also out in it, uh, but I have not read them. I'm embarrassed to say, and usually I come in caught up and prepared, but I'm not. But is there anything that you want to say or address as relates to those? 
Um, just the work that TDC is doing, succinctly put. Not quite. Um, we haven't gotten too far in our process. Um, we're talking to several different agencies about how they run their farm worker housing programs, and we did a county study about you know kind of different options. But we haven't done too much more than form a subcommittee at this point. So we're very interested in, in the issue and in pursuing it um, at a county level, but uh, about where we are. Heard, but uh, gentlemen, is there something that we could? Good. Any questions for no? Um, thank you. And so I think just bringing it up, they say haven't done much, haven't done anything. They they have done some stuff of hey, what are the other counties doing? Look over the fence, right? Don't don't reinvent the wheel. Okay, they're starting to merely move forward. And all I'm saying this is collaborative nature. Our organizations. I'm saying our, you know exactly what I'm saying. They, they share purpose, powers, duties, goals of enhancing agriculture and preserving open spaces, preserving habitat, order, and like there's so many parallels. And so this is just the collaborative nature of it, saying that out loud over and over and not needing to reinvent the wheel. So thank you for unprompt comments. Thank you for that update. This item, any committee members like to speak upon? Yeah, uh, hang on. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. I, okay. yeah, I, I apologize for that. Yes. Um, so. What would the twenty slash twenty five thousand dollars be going towards for the needs assessment? Is that like hiring a consultant or just writing a report? The actual like going out to field? Uh, as far as I know, the details have not been worked out yet. Um, I don't know if Rob or Sheila or Kathy could speak more to that. I, I I think it. My understanding is the idea was to actually contact. The uh, the the ag uh, operations uh, managers and then collect information on uh, their uh, farm worker situation and the need for housing among their their farm workers. Um, yeah, it, it wouldn't be uh, per se consultant. It would be in it would be in survey and staff time for. Um, Making contacts with with uh, individuals, but you know, even to get a good survey answer, sometimes you have to do. You can't just, particularly, I think, with this community, be very successful in doing a online survey is not 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 the way we would reach most of them. So, uh, actually, doing probably multiple mailings. Um, so, you know, that's that's. Mailings are very expensive. What's that? Mailings are very expensive. Yeah, they are. 25 grand goes quickly. You said uh, the survey and staff time. You said staff time, and that staff is related specifically to CDA staff, planning staff, other. There's probably, well, probably the new super extension of uh, or, or, make sure you know, we're so Yeah, it, it would be. Right. I wholeheartedly again, but so of the UC cooperative extended staff, just so we're. Yeah. And, and we're, we'd be working with the county ag department because they actually have a lot of the contact addresses for exactly for that flowing through. And so it's someone said manager or the outreach managers versus parcel owner versus APM versus how it goes, right? It's not an easy thing. We know it's imperfect as we go, but the gathering of information is fundamentally good thing. Yeah, I would say a big question that I feel like we would need input from the ag advisory is. is 
what is the scope of what we want to include in terms of the ag community? And what is the scope of what we want to include from a farm worker housing standpoint? Yeah, yeah like like do we go with the uh, you know how far did the field do you go? Do you include landscapers, for example? Um, do you include you know other um, sort of affiliated, I guess, or 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 entities that that also either use some of the same um, infrastructure or same organizations of agriculture that sort of add capacity to agriculture and have workers. And that's in the, the policy development across and the likes, no small thing. We, as a group, previously agreed, head nods, that we support a liberal definition, right, to include as many people as possible. Now, can a tasting room manager that's pouring wine, is that an ag worker? Like, there's a stretch, obviously, but then how far does it go? The farm to fork to table, the this how it goes. And so we've said generally we support a broader definition, which allows for the fundamental enhancement of our ecosystem. So uh, Mr. Benson's been uh, raising his hand, have you not? I, I have, uh, I guess it's a somewhat of a public comment. Can I add a little rounding out to this point? Please. Okay. Um, I had mentioned this, I checked in with Kathy, Sheila, um, got a little feedback on what was going on, the work that was being done by TVC. I envisioned, envisioned it also with Lynn, um, that essentially the framing of the questions, the development of the survey would be done in the spring, early summer. And largely my thought was a combo of uh, Sheila Lynn and um, probably Kathy would help formulate and coalesce the conversation at a formal AAC meeting, agendize and everything um, in the spring, early summer. And then after July 1st, which isn't as important of an issue because it's less than 25,000, uh, for the part-timer to come on board and help out and support the outreach. But the, the, a lot of the key pieces are the formulating of who, who is the research, who is the survey going to go to uh, because of the questions around arborists and landscapers and food service workers. So I thought they were good potential people to lead that. Okay, anybody else except for this gentleman? Yes. I would just suggest in terms of definition and the, the scope of, of the type of work you're looking at, uh, if, if you have in mind a particular source of funding that you will be um, looking to uh, at some point down the road, if, if it's determined that there is a need for farm worker housing and you want to actually um, move forward with um, trying to, to, to develop some of some, uh, the needed housing, you might look at the definitions that are used for, for example, for the, the, the grants, um, because they'll all say, you know, this is what a grant, uh, uh, an ag worker is, and, and, um, and this is, so you know, these are the people that we will uh, help you provide housing for. So you don't want to get too far down the road and then find out that, um, the, the definition that you didn't use doesn't mean the, the definition of that that's used for the, the grant or loans or whatever or the program you're looking at. Definitions uh, creep back up in terms of the clarity and how it goes from flows. And so I think ongoingly heard, agree, understood, and Dr. Goss. Yeah, I, the issues that we discussed uh, in the past were uh, the terminal use, whether the terminal use should be agricultural employee 
or farm worker. And I, I think that's something that the committee needs to memorialize if we haven't done that for you as of yet. It's gonna be an agenda item. And then the other, the other issue that's significant is hours of importance. And I've seen that come forward in ordinances that have been put together by other communities. And so having an opinion on hours of employment, I think would be a determining factor for us to consider. Heard, uh, Mr. Benetton, are you staying in town to stay engaged with this committee or would you, are you gonna be, are you gonna, are you gonna sit, sit, sit back there most of the time and can we continue to leverage you or are you uh, getting out of Dodge? A lot of the future is to be determined um, we are where we are supposed to be for Denzel Washington. Um, so I intend to be here as much as I'm able to. Right on. And uh, there was a, was it ESAC uh, where it was discussed? Uh, or was it land use? What? No, no, you're right. The economic. The ESAC. So the Economically Sustainable Agriculture Committee, Economically Sustainable Agriculture, there's a subcommittee of the TBC that is looking into this. Rob and I were on that call of that committee. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's discussion. Rob said, I might welcome. I want to continue to engage on this subject and the like. And so I just like to have us, us, or if it's you, I got it. But at the same time, if Rob leaning in or other people, is that an open committee? And can we make sure we have the ear to the ground there? Because again, the reinventing of the wheel and the likes and whether we do it, whether y'all do it, how it's phrased, how it goes and the likes, 25 grand is going to go super quick and easy. TPC has been doing work. How do we synergize this through and through? Because it's for the good cause. The anecdotally, we all said yes. As somebody that was interviewed, part of the TBC, Julio Covarrubias, who farmed in Livermore for forty-five years, forty-seven years, very knowledgeable, but just one person of asking the questions, like but gathering that information. It's not purely anecdotal, but one person doesn't make a trend line, obviously, as you get out in terms of what those needs are. So just wanted to hold that together. Welcome any time impact you have on that, Rob. And I know I'm on that subcommittee, but I'm not sure I'm allowed to, allowed to officially invite guests to that subcommittee, but we're all pretty open working on the same side of the coin, so to speak. Did I say that okay? Yeah. Rob, oh, thanks for advisory council members. So. <laughs> Good. Yeah, you have heard it here. Open if people want to join. <laughs> right on, Rob. Aside from the categorical rules, as the survey is developed and the discussion is facilitated, think about whether the survey respondents are the farm or ag business owner or the employees themselves, and the differential therein of their response. And the the feasibility of getting that done with 25 grand and 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 so like, amen, yeah. right? More information, power, but. Uh, Godspeed, good luck. We're here to support. We believe in. Thank you for the ongoing collaboration. I will catch up on the reading as it goes. Uh, Mr. Mark Triska, who chairs the, uh, uh, who is the chair of the TBC board, is constantly ribbing me about uh, catch up with all these with all these things because they're all good causes. So, good. Closing that one. Rob, anybody, anybody else want to address on this subject? So, closing eight informational item. Uh, consideration of adoption of, of climate action plan update and safety element amendments. Uh, versions dated Jan 2024. The floor is yours, Ali. Thank you. Uh, I, so I, you have heard a lot of this before. I'm going to try to keep the, the review brief and focus more on changes uh, that we've made to the community climate action plan and draft safety element amendments um, since the last time we presented here in November 2018. 
Um, so this will be an action item. And I will um, do a uh, recommendation at the end. Good. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so something there we go. Okay, and one more. So I'll start with the project overview. Um, so the safety element and community climate action plan are both elements of the county's general plan. Um, they were last updated about 10 years ago. Um, there's a lot of overlap in the areas of climate adaptation and greenhouse gas emission reduction between these two. So the county has combined them into a single project that we are uh, addressing comprehensively. Um, and uh, as the chair mentioned, the CAP update is a comprehensive update, while the safety element um, is an amendment of the existing safety element. So uh, it's not a full update of that document. Uh, we began this project in June of 2022, um, and we uh, released our public drafts in October of 20, uh, 2023, just before we came to your committee last time. Excellent. So this is a timeline. Um, you can see by that arrow, it's sort of hidden toward the bottom. We're in step five there, pretty far along in the process at this point. Um, we are, you're actually our, um, Final stop, last but not least in our, um, our roadshow, going around to MACs and committees before we go to uh, the planning or the, the Board on Incorporated Services Committee and the Planning Commission uh, with this item. And we are, um, if all things go well, we're anticipating adoption in spring or summer of this year. So uh, probably June. Um, so mentioned this last time, we did a lot of community engagement in the development of these drafts. Um, and that includes our uh, website, our listserv, public workshops, an online feedback tool, uh, outreach that we did through districts three, three four, and one, um, outreach to uh, MACs, various committees, to your committee, uh, interactive displays at the libraries. And we also convened uh, a, an internal um, county climate action team that was made up of um, county staff across agencies to help in the development of the climate action plan uh, and the safety deal. So um, I will give you a little bit of information uh, on the climate action plan itself, um, just as a review. Um, so the, the original climate action plan for the county was incorporated into the general plan as an optional element in 2014. Um, and this acts as an update to that, uh, that element. So what this um, update does is it sets new um, climate action goals, uh, and it helps to contribute to the state's objective of carbon neutrality by 2045. Um, new in this document, if you're familiar with the 2014 version, so new topics that we're considering here are equity and environmental justice in climate planning, um, and the interplay between climate mitigation, which is what the previous document uh, really focused on, and climate adaptation, which you know, as, as we're all experiencing more, uh, more of the impacts of climate change, adaptation becomes increasingly important. Next slide. Uh, so this is just a, a slide that shows the organization of um, the CAP. So in addition to the, the intro and background, we have our greenhouse gas emissions inventory. It's updated. Um, it's based on uh, 2019 numbers. Um, we have a chapter on adaptation and resilience. Our policy chapter is chapter five. Um, and we have a chapter on implementation and monitoring, and of course, our work cited. Slide. Uh, so the updated cap includes a greenhouse gas emissions inventory. Um, it's a 2019 production-based inventory for greenhouse gas emissions that were generated within unincorporated Alameda County. Um, 
So according to this estimate, uh, emissions generated within unincorporated county were about 950,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent. Um, and that is, just so you can visualize it, um, equivalent to, for example, 120,000 homes energy use for an entire year. Um, so that's the, just, you know, an idea of what that number means. Uh, and this number is important because it forms the basis for our um, climate, our GHG emissions reduction goals um, in the cap. Slide, please. Uh, so this is just another way to visualize that number. So um, the largest percentage of our emissions in unincorporated Alameda County come from on-road transportation. We further broke this down from the last time. Um, so it's about half commercial and half passengers. It's a little bit of additional information. Um, with 13% coming from residential building energy and 6% coming from non-residential building energy. So building energy becomes like the next largest sector and all other sectors account for 3% or less um, of the GHG emissions in um, this production-based inventory. So this really indicates that on-road transportation and building energy are major opportunities for GHG emissions. Yeah. Yeah, just quick query, how is water supply less than 1% when that's the single largest driver of energy consumption in the state? Is that factored in or is something factored out to so, not include that? Interesting. So my, yeah, so this is a, the, the production-based inventory is um, compiled based on a standard methodology that local jurisdictions across the state are using. So we're using the same methodology. Um, my guess, and I don't know for sure, is that um, those emissions are accounted for in another jurisdiction. Um, so in if, if water- Or say not at the county level versus at the state level? No, like if they if those emissions are being produced, like I, I don't know if you can give me like an example of where those emissions might be being produced. Um, are they produced at the McCollum, like, like on the McCollum River? Are they being produced in another county is what I'm wondering, because this is really accounting for GHG emissions that are coming from Inside Alameda County, uh, inside unincorporated, okay. including water. Yeah, but we do also pumping, pumping the water around. It's right. pumping the water around. Yeah. And that's that's what I'm saying. That mm -hmm. when I learned that statistic, it, it, it turned. A lot of those pumps are not in the county. What's right. that? A lot of those pumps are not in this county. They are like if you're trying to get water up and over the grapevine into you know southern right, California. Right. That wouldn't be in our, this county. So it's only considering the pumps that are what county owned and maintained, or just it would be the county? yeah. On the parcel of as a as a general bias, I'm biased towards questions to the end. Fair one, yeah, you have yeah, to bias the speaker, but we can keep on rolling. And we also have questions. we have an, and you'll get to another inventory that we have that um, actually doesn't count for things okay. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Thank you for so yeah, thank yeah, you for that question. Um, all right, so go to the next slide. Uh, so consistent with state law, um, we at the county, the, the CCAP um, proposes to uh, set goals that um, that have, so GHG emissions reduction targets of, as it shows on the slide, 40% below 1990 levels by 2030, 85% uh, below 1990 levels by 2045, and again, um, net zero GHG emissions by 2035. Um, and we're setting these targets consistent with the targets that are established by the state um, because the California Air Resources Board has uh, determined these targets to be technologically and financially feasible and because they don't place undue burden on um, the residents of unincorporated Alameda County 
uh, by setting overall targets that are more stringent than the states. Slide. Um, so state and federal law do address greenhouse gas emissions, uh, but, but state and federal regulations alone will not be enough uh, for us to achieve the reductions uh, that we're going to need to reach, achieve under this cap. Um, so we slide shows our, our remaining local emissions gap, um, and that's really what the uh, the goals, policies, measures in the cap are focused on is closing that local emissions gap. Um, and the cap primarily focuses on achieving that 2030 target. Um, and we will make substantial progress toward achieving those longer term post-2030 targets. Um, but just to acknowledge that uh, there will need to be substantial changes in law and in technology um, to enable us to meet those longer term goals. Those are, um, they're, they're, they're going to be hard goals to meet, um, and we're setting ourselves on a, a course to be able to do that. Uh, so next slide. So this uh, is another, this is a new inventory that was not in our first cap. Um, this is a, uh, so the, the initial inventory is a production-based inventory. This is what's called a consumption-based inventory. So what this is looking at is all of the different things that we as residents of unincorporated Alameda County are consuming. So water that has to come over um, the Altamont or um, goods that we've ordered on Amazon that need to, to make it all the way to us from, you know, from overseas and, and the emissions that are produced as, as part of all of those things that we're consuming. Um, so this just gives us a different way to look at um, our our responsibility and at our uh, at, at sort of both as a, both as individuals and as um, as local government. So uh, this is a, a different way to look at it. And then um, particularly relevant to this group, for the next slide, we also have uh, new to this cap is an unincorporated Alameda County National and Parking Lands Inventory, um, and this in indicates that the unincorporated areas of the county have over 18 million metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent um, stored in its ecosystems. And this includes uh, above ground biomass and in rural areas, um, in the soil, and in urban forests. And this helps to inform some of our carbon sequestration strategies uh, in, in rural and working plants. Um, so there's a vulnerability assessment that is new to the CAP as well. It's also helped to inform a lot of uh, strategies in our safety element. Uh, and I won't go too, you know, too deep into how this was put together, because I know I mentioned this last time, but just to reiterate um, that it indicates that the highest area of vulnerability for unincorporated county, um, based on high potential impact and low lower adaptive capacity um, is extreme heat. So extreme heat is our greatest area of vulnerability um, in unincorporated Alameda County, followed by increased wildfire risk and extreme pre uh, precipitation and flooding. And it indicates that uh, drought is a little bit lower of a vulnerability, and that does not mean that drought is not an issue because we know that it is. It just means that at this time, we have um, somewhat more capacity to adapt uh, to drought than we do to those other risks. So, uh, so uh, the, the, the real uh, core of the cap are these strategies and measures uh, that we develop through technical uh, data analysis and community input. Um, and these include uh, strategies related to land use and mobility, buildings, infrastructure, waste, agriculture, and vegetation, Health and resiliency and community engagement and monitoring. Next slide. 
Um, the CAP includes two prioritization matrices um, that look at a variety of factors to determine which measures um, will have the highest impact or which are the highest priority measures for greenhouse gas reduction and which are the highest priority measures for adaptation and resilience. Um, and to see that, that start item there, um, I, and, uh, and actually related to closing gaps in existing networks and improving bicycle and pedestrian connections throughout unincorporated Alameda County, rose to the top as the highest priority item in both of those categories. What's L-U-W-R-A-G? I'm sorry. Oh, uh, the, what, the, the, what does that L-U mean? What is L-U? Just the strategy. Yeah, so it's land use. It's just the... Land strategy. use. What's W-R? Yeah. W-R uh, is waste. Reduction. Yeah. L-A-G. A-G is agriculture. And then infrastructure. Sorry. Yeah, yeah sorry. They just yeah, yeah. kind of code under the, um, the way that the, the actions are um, numbered. So um, that that action related to uh, to the bicycle and pedestrian network was really high priority, uh, and then relevant to what Andy was just presenting, um, uh, expanding the existing waste organic waste collection routes and drop off sites was also a really um, high ranking item under greenhouse gas reduction uh, actions, and then under adaptation and resilience. Uh, pursuing funding to evaluate and expand uh, the Alameda County Tree Program, which is the Public Works Agency's tree program. Um, and developing smart grid energy management systems rose to the top uh, for adaptation and resilient actions. Um, so all, uh, in all, there are 15 high priority greenhouse gas reduction actions, 24 high priority adaptation and resilience actions. Um, and those are actions that we're uplifting to be implemented between now and 2026. Um, it also identifies the uh, departments that would be responsible for those actions. Um, and in terms of or, uh, ongoing monitoring and accountability for uh, CAP implementation, we uh, plan to prepare an annual monitoring report that will de uh, deliver to board and relevant committees. Uh, we'll update that greenhouse gas emissions inventory and the climate vulnerability assessment every four to five years. Um, and the CAP itself will be updated in its entirety um, every eight years. So, on to um, some of the changes since the last draft that we presented. Um, so we, we've gone around to, um, to all of the MAPS board committees, your commission uh, planning, uh, your committee to planning commission um, in fall of 2023. We received a lot of comments. We've got um, some of those comments printed on the back and they're in your packet as well if you're interested in reading the comments in depth. Um, and we revised the draft in response to those comments. So these are some of the additions in the land use and mobility section. So. Um, I won't read them all, but I'll just maybe highlight a few. So from this committee, um, we heard interest in closing gaps in long distance trail networks. So we added a relevant action. Um, let's see, was this this committee as well? Deploying low emissions buses in neighborhoods with disproportionately poor air quality. I believe that came from this committee as well. Um, promoting jobs, housing balance through zoning and general air policy. Um, uh, under buildings, we have um, lowering costs associated with residential energy improvements, for example, by lowering permitting fees, that's something that the county uh, has control over. And um, let's see, uh, considering a reach code that reduces reliance on natural gas infrastructure in development. So those are some of our new uh, buildings policies. Under infrastructure, um, seeking funding to support uh, access to electric vehicle charging stations, 
And from this committee, uh, we heard interest in promoting CARB grants um, and helping folks connect to CARB grants to replace diesel-powered agricultural equipment. What is CARB, CARB? Uh, it's the California Air Resources Board. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you, yeah, for not letting me sit on an acronym. Um, and then under waste, the next slide. One more. <laughs> there we go. Okay, perfect. Um, we have a lot of the things that Andy was talking about. So uh, partnering with CBOs to establish and maintain food recovery programs. This CBO. Community-based organization. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Um, making sure that our outreach campaigns related to the work that Andy was talking about are multilingual and accessible to folks. Um, and then establishing tool lending libraries uh, that include things like tools, of course, but also home energy assessment tools like plug load meters. Slide. Under agriculture and vegetation, we added, added policies related to um, researching ecosystem service payments for agricultural land management practices that promote carbon storage, studying threats to carbon storage on agricultural lands, uh, and exploring strategies to increase tree protections on private property with consideration for both preserving trees and preserving private property rights. Next slide. Uh, under health and resiliency, um, I will highlight on this one, uh, connecting all residents to the county's evacuation and emergency notification systems through multilingual outreach, um, other policies. And next slide. Um, uh, and so on this slide, uh, I think this came from this committee as well, uh, researching ways to support reduction of fire insurance rates for residents um, and increasing resilient cooling centers by seeking funding for backup power capabilities. Um, and then finally, we have uh, under community engagement and monitoring slide. Um, we have developing a broadly accessible community climate action engagement strategy to inspire local action and help um, community members engage in uh, in the implementation of the climate action plan. Um, and reviewing and revising the county's wildfire, smoke, and air quality communications protocols to ensure that all residents have access to information. Um, so again, this is not an exhaustive list, but I want to give you a sense of some of the changes. Um, and we will make just some additional changes um, just to correct some, some issues. And then also uh, with some feedback that we received from the building department. Um, and we'll bring this to uh, the planning commission soon and then shortly to the board of supervisors. So um, may we stop, pause, yes. ask questions on this again, trying to be efficient and then go on to safety. Is that okay with you? Yes. All right. Anybody with a raise of hands, comments, questions on this topic? I love the uh, the trails uh, element. Uh, you know, bikes and people in, instead of vehicles uh, will uh, reduce, and I think that's positive. I commend you. Thank, thank you for your comments. Anybody else? Anybody? I have a question. Um, you know, there's was it fifteen priorities and. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I look at the, the presentation, it's it's hard to tell the ones that have the highest ROI in terms of your impact. So it seems like some of these are going to have, they, they have uh, social impact, but perhaps not the, the climate impact. Mm -hmm. So in terms of just, this is a lot to do and it's a lot of partners. Mm -hmm. So it seems like it would be helpful, I think, to anyone viewing this to see on each of your pages where you have four different things, put the one that's going to be the most effective. Mm -hmm. 
Um, because I'm thinking even of the ones you know, housing is huge, but are we really going to be able to move that one versus, um, you know, bike share? I um, and um, for the, the other one, tool lending library, you know, I think that's really great, but that sounds so like impactful at, at a very low level, like it would be with public libraries. But I'm thinking, how does this look at in the whole? Yeah, and, and just uh, let me clarify, I uh, realize now that, that I, the way that I put that together is kind of confusing. So um, those 15 high priority measures in the in GHG emissions and the 24 in um, uh, adaptation and resiliency are actually listed. They're listed in a separate table here in this document. What I was um, showing on those slides are new items that we've added. They're not necessarily the ones that are the highest priority. I just wanted to uh, to give you a sense of what we heard in the public process and what we added. Um, so the way that those um, those matrices, those those uh, high priority matrices, sort of figured out, you know, we, we, the way we figured out what to put on them um, was by looking at things like cost effectiveness, um, the amount of uh, control that the county has over, you know, is it in our wheelhouse? Is it does it involve an outside agency? Do we have, does the Board of Supervisors have control for it? Do they not? Um, how long will it take to do? Um, like, are the greenhouse gas emissions, like, are they so high that we really need to focus on implementing that particular measure? And the reason that we split it off into GHG measures and adaptation and resilience measures um, is because we want to be able to look at those GHG measures separately to know that that's, you know, we really need to focus on that, but we also don't want things that don't have any direct GHG measure um, that, that we can quantify to fall by the wayside if they're going to help improve people's quality of life as we are experiencing climate change now um, and as we're figuring out how to reduce our emissions. So yeah, sorry for that was... Um, Good for me to note in the way I organize this next time. Mr. Moore. Yeah, um, this is a third time I've got an opportunity. Thank you for hearing it again. For coming and doing it again. Um, if my questions are going to be very similar. I noticed you did make some changes and do some duties or some things that agriculture could do, but I felt it still falls far short of what ag could do to help with the uh, climate change issue, particularly the carbon. We have so much property in this area that we can plant trees and grow crops on, but we don't have water. So it really kind of concerns me that, you know, we're really, it's a lot of lip service. I think that you could almost put any county in the state name on this project and it would fit. And I'm a little concerned when I, I see it, it's some of the information's older. Uh, uh, I didn't see any real accountability again, you know, Who's going to do it? When they're going to do it? What's the timeline? And and this um, it's it's very nice to say, but and I think I'm really concerned about costs. You know, when you start start talking about some of these things, um, you, you talk about getting rid of gas heater, Well, you have a 75 year old lady that lives on a home and her heater goes out, and you say, well, we can't see gas anymore. Well, it's no problem. You buy electric. But what happens when her service is only a 100 amp service? And she has to call an electrician and bring in a 200 amp service to, to turn this on. 
You know, there's a lot of unintended consequences that go with some of these things. And I, it just really concerns me when I, I see them um, because, um, and I, I don't see enough prioritization on what are we going to attack first. Um, and I did, and we asked in the MAC to put some cross to it. And we also, we were looking at what are other counties doing? How far are we ahead or behind? And what is the state doing in relationship to other states? Are we running people out of California with all of the things that we need to do? Because we may easily make this by running 500,000 people out of California here. You know, um, I mean, it's, it's regulation. And you start talking about tractors that ranchers and farmers use every day. And you start, you know, CARB is a very tough organization to deal with. I don't know if anybody's had an opportunity. You have a battery tractor that you're testing, I, I understand. Um, and can't run all day, don't pull like the old diesel, nor does the new diesel. There's all sorts of challenges, imperfect system, imperfect laws, hopefully good intentions. And uh, if, especially if they've heard it, hopefully succinct you can be in wrapping up your comments. And, and, and I'm not saying this because I don't believe it. I believe in it. I am 100% off the grid. Um, but I will tell you, that is not a cheap direction to go. It, and, and to ask and to think we're going to get there, in a very short period of time, I just a very, I, I think this is a great thing you're doing, but it it's way too big. It needs to be broken down to accomplished items that we can do, and um, and we need to prioritize it because. Please keep succinct. If you're repeating now, you you made those comments. You agree. Prioritize, be saying how's it going to cost, but I want you to have time for it. But take advantage of that. There are some opportunities the ag community can do if they're given the tools to do it. Well said. Yeah. It cuts short. I value what you're saying, but can you wrap up? When we talk about environmental justice, the ag community has built, built an injustice for a very long time. We talk about it in the rural, rural I mean, urban areas, but we don't have city sewer. We don't have city water. We have to put 20,000 gallons of storage in to fight fires. So when you talk about justice, let's really think about the entire county. Thank you. Uh, I'm gonna stick with this first, I'll come back. Uh, Ms. Quigley, did you have a hand up? Right? I, yeah, I did. Um, quick question. Um, how do we, how do you work with uh, other adjacent counties? Uh, particularly Contra Costa, you know, the Trails Committee is looking at a trail to, you know, the Los Carroll's watershed of Contra Costa, you know, 350 foot connection uh, potentially for a trail. And in Contra Costa County was similarly interested. Uh, interested. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the Los Carroll's expansion potentially has a lot of money. Yeah. So um, at this point, I, I, my my interactions uh, around this project with Contra Costa County have been, you know, attending meetings related to climate that they were part of or that they were hosting. Um, and I think that as we, I think at this point, many jurisdictions are just in the process of working on their climate action plans and listening to what other jurisdictions are doing. Um, we also have a lot of folks in, you know, in various audiences who have attended a climate action plan meeting with the city of Hayward or from the county of, of Contra Costa and will come to us with sort of ideas that we might want to look 
that. Um, but when we do get to the implementation phase, um, if if that includes things like working across counties, um, then that was something that we would do. Cool. Yeah. It's, it, it kind of cuts to water. Uh, you you could uh, dovetail with Jennifer Allen okay. of their, their legislative and governmental affairs. Gail, uh, I'll give you your contact. She, she would uh, really be a, a potential good uh, resource. Fantastic. Thank, Thank you. you. Lynn. I just wanted to point out a couple of things. I was pretty late to this project, I guess, but I I want to say something in favor of grass. One is that grass stores most of its carbon underground, and trees only store carbon until they burn down. And if you don't go ahead whole hog and planting trees everywhere, you're just making a lot of carbon likely to go into the atmosphere. And in 2020, 20% of carbon greenhouse gases released from carbon in California were from the wildfires in 2020. We really, we really care. I mean, there's fire in here under safety, but it's really an important climate change. That's, that's 100 million metric tons of carbon dioxide, which stays in our atmosphere for a couple hundred years. Methane stays, does, just doesn't stay in the atmosphere for like 10 years. So it's a whole different volume thing. Uh, so I also, um, I think agriculture, rangelands that are grazed, and croplands can be really incredibly useful fire breaks in a landscape. And really, you need to start thinking because the fire situation. You know, we go for a few years without fire and we think, whoa, fire is really unusual, but it's not unusual. As soon as the weather gets right, things are going to break down. So I think it's really important to consider what we're doing with vegetation and how we can. Trees are, can be, oak woodlands can be very resistant to fire because they have a lot of grass between them and you can graze them if, there's, if they're widely spaced. When I go to some of our parks, and I see what's happening to the vegetation that's happening there. It's terrifying. So we, I think really need Thank you. Anybody else? Maybe playing off of Chuck's comments a little bit. I just thought this wedge diagram that you showed, by a great record, good presentation, but this wedge diagram you showed kind of just tells the whole story. If if you don't reduce that big blue wedge, which is on-road transportation, the rest of it doesn't make any difference at all. I mean, and the fact, now the fact that the state has decided it's going to destroy rooftops, residential solar, which could have reduced the yellow wedge, which is the second largest one. You know, this is all great, but those those two items are the only ones that make any difference, really. If they were gone, the rest of it would be just, who cares? Well, it, I, if I make a comment on that, because it's it's very similar to kind of like why people say, um, also like the tree planting, um, looking at trees is only something that's going to pull down carbon. That's not why, um, that's how I started. I'm sorry, for those of you who don't know, I run an urban reforestation nonprofit um, for two two years, I thought we were quote going to save the world like everybody else, planting masses of trees stripped for carbon. What I learned is that this isn't a carbon crisis; it's a climate crisis. It has to do with the tree as a vehicle. So that was a complete reframing of from 
not educated to a much more educated standpoint of learning how complex this really is. Same thing in looking at that graph. Um, in the city of Alameda, I sit on our environmental task force, CASA, Community Action for a Sustainable Alameda. We were approaching things very elementary, um, but when we had a presentation from uh, one of our own who's an MBA in sustainability who helped us first understand sustainability, the move towards resiliency in communities and what are the systems that need to be in place as we look at the impact of climate, like sea level rise, hotter urban heat island effects. Well, we just thought we were just gonna plant a lot of trees in the city and help with climate and sustainability. When we learned the complexities of all that, well, we saw a very similar graph for the city of Alameda, and it's still pretty much the same in every city. Transportation and worldwide um, is the single driver of two, two things. One, air pollution, and two, carbon emissions, around 70%. So it's not that we just need to take on the transportation in a climate action um, plan or scenario. We need to be doing all of it. And that's coming from quote, an environmentalist um, who understands the complexity of that. Because once we start educating people a lot more, they will be opting to take trails and to bike and to commute, which is reducing. But they'll be doing the other, um, um, implementing other, if you will, strategies that also impact climate as well as they become as educated as I was in my journey. So yeah, we just go for only just, let's see what is gonna be the biggest thing to suck down all the carbon or to reduce that. But that really is kind of, not myopic, but it's kind of uninformed. When we look at this from a more complex standpoint, we really need to be doing all of it. But then asking our supervisors to prioritize both community safety, because the number one cause of death in climate is urban heat. Not a car, but the car is the one who's driving consumption over all that fossil fuel. And it's, again, complex. It's tied to that. So we need to be looking at looking at all of these systems in this proposal. Um, it, it just, uh, just add a little um, uh, um, complexity in, in educating us on why that curve is so important, but how complex this really is. So there's not just one single solution. We need to be looking and really following the direction of, of staff, and really relying on staff to help us, help parse this out for us so we can make recommendations as it does impact ag. Because I'll tell you, yeah, ag can really pull us through a lot of this with regenerative agriculture practices. Um, as I forget who, you brought that up. I think somebody just most recently. But, um, but that's something as we do learn more about how ag can adopt some of these practices, it'll really help move the, move the number on, on a lot of these, including that transportation blue portion of that graph. Thank you. Mr. Schneider. <clears throat> as I recall, the county's population, unincorporated area population is about 10% of total population. Yeah. The greenhouse gas emissions proportionate I don't know, and I'm really excited, actually, um, based on um, Lemon Moore's recommendation to do a little bit of a, a dive into that and to see, so when we do pre uh, present to the Planning Commission, to see how our emissions here in Unincorporated Alameda County compare. It's not going to be a perfect comparison unless they've also done their inventory for 2019, um, so we'll have to see what we can do, but um, excited to find out. 
Yeah. My understanding is that the data we're using is generic data. It's not generic data. It's it is specific data to our county, but it's used. It's it's uh, calculated using the standard methodology. But it's not specific to our area. It is. No, it is. It is specific to our area. So, so it includes. So in the Sherryland area, you can tell me that the flooding. It's different than in the Contra uh, Costa County. I can't tell you for Cherryland specifically. It doesn't get that granular. I think that's the question is how does Cherryland, the entire. Yeah, so it looks at the entire. Incorporated, incorporated in this situation, right? Because is Castro Valley incorporated or unincorporated? And that's the because it's not an incorporated city. Right. And so I just want to make sure we're talking about the same things. I also don't want to get too far into the weeds on it because it isn't tough to measure. How do you measure incorporated, unincorporated? Well, that looks like a city to me, but it's not because it's not there and and. So let me, I'm saying Castro Valley, right? Not a city, but. So let's let the process play out, which I hope for, but they're all good questions and good discussions. It does look unincorporated Alameda County as a whole. So what does that mean? That means also anything that's any not a city of Alameda County that is not a city. So and that's including that have the land in Alameda County is not a city. And it is all of that land. That is what we're looking at. Will that include pass through traffic, near traffic? Uh, it does include past, I believe it does include pass through traffic. In that methodology, yeah. Therefore, it's probably disproportionate because there's a lot of factors. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got three. But that three is, that is a huge issue. It's, it's a, right yeah, now. and that's, that's yeah. thing we have to do. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Uh, and, and the burdens of that on the unincorporated area are even higher due to strictly the transportation. It's disproportionate how much passes through there, and also the lack of trees to actually help mitigate that. So that's yeah, it's it's disproportionate, but yeah, getting granular data would be impactful. So, yeah, we don't have it more granular than unincorporated is for the whole unincorporated area, not for Ashland, not for Cherryland, not for Castro Valley, all of it. No, I get it, and I'm a, a data scientist too, and, and and understand what Ms. Moore is saying. Like it's imperfect system, yes. and what does that mean? You yes. can't go to. So we recognize that. I hear you, and. I want to hug everybody in this room. So thank you, uh, Mr. Uh, Dr. Gosling. Do you have anything to say? Yeah. Cool. Uh, the ask is for a motion and a recommendation. Can we do it at the end? Please, yes, one. For both documents. And I just wanted to make one quick point, which is um, that Lynn, um, I don't know, but hi, um, mentioned fire breaks. And I wanted to just point out as you're listening, as you're hearing each other's ideas, if there are things that come up in this process that you would like to add to your motion, um, for us to add to the document for the board of supervisors to consider, but just for example, fire breaks, um, we can do that. So just keep that in mind as you're considering what your motion might be. Um, if, gotcha. you, if you choose to make one. Okay, so I, I wanted to clarify that. I mean, Please. Yeah. I wanted to clarify that I'm just taking agriculture by itself and landscape is fire break. I'm not sure mm -hmm. about the time when you filed, but agriculture and grazing lands can operate as fire break. Yes, absolutely. And I, I don't want to dive in this rattle uh, or this, I don't call it rattle, but fundamentally, trees versus open range, yes, will burn. But from my standpoint, I am biased towards planting more trees is good for so long as it's done in a thoughtful right. So it's not because they will burn. But if you have 
So I don't know. My head is spinning on that one because I would like the motion to say it said preserve trees and I would like it to say increase trees because I believe that's good, but not at the expense of burning down air quality and yes. Yeah, so I'm going to make a recommendation to not in just preserve trees, but to increase trees, because I think they're good for the world. But I would like to know more about it, but not do it right here, right now. Mr. White, you're saying add in, add the wording increase trees to the existing wording, which currently says preserve trees. Yes. Good. More trees, better. So long as it doesn't just try yeah, public right. safety, it just says preserve in there. So that's measure ag two dash one. Does the increase? Yeah. Sorry, your slideshow point said it. So then I pull it. Yes, yeah. totally. Sorry. Yes, that was yeah. just just an addition. Um, oh right, and that's everybody else. So keep it moving. At a future state, I would love to know more about what a smart grid is and what microgrids are yeah. and how it applies. Yeah, I'm ignorant to that subject. That goes towards the future. Transportation is key. Agland, cropland, eco. Uh, Ecosystem services has come up before, and I said, Larry, I don't know what that is. I said, Mr. Schneider, I don't know what that is. And anybody else said, I don't know what that is. Learning more and more as it's flowing through, I reckon this is going to come back into our parlance because how can ag serve against this in the direction of good? And so uh, I bet in the next 18 months or the last, we're going to have an ecosystem service committee that crips itself back up reading the tea leaves here. So I'll leave that at that. On to safety. Anybody else before we flow? Thank you for endeavoring to move us along. Yes, of course. Uh, so the safety element is also an element of the county's general plan. Um, by state law, we are required to cover things like um, seismic hazards, geologic hazards, fire, flood, um, hazardous materials, aviation. That's what the safety element uh, covers. This is a document that was adopted in 2013. It's been amended several times, including a recent amendment in 2022 to incorporate the local hazard mitigation plan. Um, and what this update does um, is it further amends the safety element uh, to, uh, to comply with some new state laws around climate adaptation, addressing climate adaptation and resilience, addressing things like emergency evacuation routes, wildfire risk on um, Lands classified as state responsibility area or high fire severity zones. Um, and so we're making those adjustments at the same time as, uh, as the housing element uh, to help uh, identify sites that are appropriate for the housing element sites inventory. So next slide. Um, so the safety element, as I said, is, uh, an, is a, uh, it's changes to the existing document. So it's Change, those changes are indicated as underlines, which are additions, and strikers, which are uh, things that we're removing. Um, and these include both contextual and policy updates, um, as I mentioned, related to climate uh, adaptation and resilience, um, network accessibility, which is looking at uh, areas that have one uh, only one egress, um, and route capacity for um, road, roadways and, uh, and their ability to, uh, to respond to hazards. Um, the changes that are proposed to the safety element um, relate uh, for the most part to um, so additional policies related to uh, flood hazards, fire hazards, and then an entirely new section on extreme heat, which was not covered in previous versions of the safety element. Um, and I will go a little bit into, um, so next slide. So uh, I won't go over the entirety of the document, but I'll just show you some of the things that we've added um, since the last time I was here. 
So under fire hazards, um, some things that might be of interest to this group in particular um, are encouraging agencies that inspect fire fuel vegetation to begin their inspections as early as possible each year um, and addressing some gaps in existing fire prevention inspection programs. Um, we did hear a lot about that from uh, communities in Sinol. Under flood hazards, um, and this is relevant to, I think what an earlier speaker mentioned about the Water Force Protection Act, um, uh, well, I'll get to that in a second, but uh, adding Sinbad Creek, for example, and other creeks, making sure that the, the list of um, flood risk creeks in our safety element accurately reflected creeks that folks were worried about and that have flooded. So we added some language back in. Um, and we have uh, amended some of the language that used to say uh, that our flood control systems are adequate for most situations. We've amended that based on public comment to say historically systems have been adequate for most situations, but may require additional evaluation in climate change scenarios. Um, in extreme heat, which is the next slide, um, we have engaging heat vulnerable communities when setting extreme heat uh, thresholds for opening cooling centers. So there are specific numerical thresholds, make sure that those are consistent with what community members need. Um, and increasing the resilience of our uh, our cooling centers themselves. Next slide. Um, and then under general emergency preparedness, making sure that language access is a priority throughout um, as relates to emergency patients, um, providing annual reports to the board of supervisors and advisory bodies uh, about the implementation of the measures in this document. Um, considering use of emergency sirens, I think that's something that came up in this group as well. Um, and then related to some of the things we just heard about, some of the dangers of trees, um, considering or adopting a hazardous tree ordinance to address trees that are risks to life or property. Um, so that's it for the safety element. Take your recommendation. Do you want to power or do you want to? I can't. Why don't I just power through this next couple of slides and then, and then we can go ahead. Can I ask a question on the safety element real quick? Uh, has, has some seven uh, flood control been the uh, flood control element? So, um, oh, we have sent it to, I don't think we've sent it to Zone 7. Um, Zone 7, we've contacted them uh, regarding some specific questions that have come out throughout this process. Um, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm not sure if they specifically. Because they, yeah. In my opinion, they should, because the county could be setting them up for liability. Mm -hmm. The flood district has that liability, mm -hmm. in my opinion, now. So I would be careful there. Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, we forwarded it to you in the form of, of questions, but not specifically as a okay. So thank you. So events in your court. Cool. Uh, let's follow. Yeah. So um, just a little bit about CEQA for these two documents. Um, so we are preparing an initial study and negative declaration pursuant to CEQA for the Community Climate Action Plan, which will be posted on our website um, shortly. And then next slide. Uh, we've determined that the safety element amendments um, are not subject to CEQA um, for several reasons, including a common sense exemption. Um, and uh, in your packet, we've included that uh, notice of exemption uh, for your review. Next slide. Um, so adoption hearings, we have gone before the Fairview MAC, Eden Area MAC, uh, Sonol Citizens Advisory Committee, and the uh, Castro Valley MAC, um, all of which uh, took uh, action to forward the document to these documents, both of these documents to the um, planning commission with uh, recommendation to adopt. And each of those uh, 
those groups did have specific recommendations that they wanted to add. Um, so um, would you, do you want to hear the specific recommendations or for the sake of time, would you prefer I didn't? I think they are in the, the, the memos. I think they are in the memos and I would say um, science is better, but you got it. See we will be going to uh, unincorporated services tomorrow and to the planning commission on April 1st. And that concludes my presentation. Thank you. Uh, oh, and sorry, I'm, uh, I do have a uh, the motion that I'm consider. Um, so, uh, staff recommends your committee vote to forward the revised draft community climate action plan and revised draft safety element amendments. These are the versions dated January 2024, and the safety elements related CEQA uh, document to the planning commission with a recommendation that the community climate action plan update and safety element amendments be adopted by the board of supervisors. And as I mentioned prior to voting. Um, you may want to consider changes that you'd like to recommend to the documents, and we will articulate those changes to the Planning Commission. Thank you for the volume of information that you just presented in a uh, succinct manner and for what you do. Uh, let's go with the raise of hands. They want to address on this subject. Yeah. I got a couple. One is uh, on the safety element on the fire. Um, we've brought up many, many times in MAC meetings in the canyon lands, uh, there are many, many areas where there, there's no cell reception. And uh, it, it would, we, and we've been talking about it for a very long time. This would add basically about when I see this thing, it's on there still, and it's been 10 years, and it's still hundreds of folks don't have access to cell service in case there was an emergency. And we have no way of notifying of a fire. So, um, you know, when are we going to have some document where something gets done? Um, uh, I mean, it keeps coming up. And um, I would just like to say that some of these safety elements are really important, particularly in the ag community, particularly, and out, not out here, you guys don't see it, but in the canyon lands, there's a lot of places that um, we have problems and uh, they're not being addressed. Heard. Thank you. Anybody else? Um, I think I heard an ongoing theme that ag lands, range lands want to serve a purpose, think they can serve a higher level purpose as it flows through. Um, I think ecosystem services will creep back in, ties in 1383, where does this compost go, and, and, and. So I think there was a very consensus of the ag community, ag lands can serve a purpose in this and possibly a greater purpose than what we are seeing in that document. So keeping it succinct in that regard, is that a fair assessment from folk? Um, as that's all I have to say, I'd love to hear from anybody else, public, online, public here, would entertain a motion. I'll move we accept and set forward. As? As presented by Seth. What about my recommendation too? <laughs> with that, is that? Yeah, I just want to get it very clear with language. So, okay. And any other recommendations or changes, or is it, are you capturing the notes and flowing that forward enough? Or do you need um, more I am capturing the notes, but if you, there are specific things that you want us to consider, I Hopefully, it'd be best to do so. Okay, so motion is as is plus what I said. Is that fair? So that would be a friendly amendment. Yeah, heard. Yes, sir. I was just going to say I would accept the document if it had some uh, 
priority, accountability, and some costs associated with it. I would like for that to be subsequently amended to the amendment. And Nan also said ROI of just some of those, the uh, uh, sense of rationality across it and uh, ROI and some, some dollars and cents in. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Um, before I second or offer a second, I think to clarify, I, I remember asking summer before, it wasn't this past summer when we first were entertain the climate action plan about kind of that level of specificity. What I think I've learned, and I'm asking Ali, um, is when plans of this nature go forward, they don't necessarily include direction on that level of detail like we would see at a city level. Um, is that correct? Yeah, and you know, I, I don't know if um, at that a city level we would necessarily see also a budget. You know, these are these are um, eight year plans, so it's setting a direction, strategic, strategic direction, direction yeah. based on not an operation. Yeah. 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 A little bit of the challenge I have though is the planning department and the building department are going to get these recommendations, and they're going to start picking the ones that they can are low hanging fruit. And say, okay, let's get rid of that uh, gas heaters. Let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of that. And then my concern is that a lot of these folks in the community can't afford it. And until we understand what the unintended consequences are of some of these, I have a hard time supporting that direction. Unintended consequences. Yes, please. Um, for example, uh, if there were to be an ordinance to just to, to use your example of, of gas heaters to get rid of gas heaters, which is not something that we're proposing, but uh, if that were an amend, if that were something that were uh, proposed here, that would be an ordinance, and any ordinance that the county undertook uh, would have its own public process. So there would be further public process before the the, the, the building department wouldn't be able to just make that change without giving the public an opportunity to comment on it, if that makes sense. Do you feel like you've been adequately spoken to the piece? That's sort of a cost prioritization and a rationality to it that yet not one size fits all as it flows to the rural community. And then yeah, the other thing I just wanted to point out is that we do have that that those prioritization matrices which are in the map, which include more detail uh, for those high priority measures related to timelines, Relative cost, not specific oh. cost, um, and then who's implementing. So there is some some more information about that. Or is there anything for the good of the order? No. So 100 safety element, 179 pages. How many read every word? Oh. Just kidding. I'm not me, and the same of what was it, 470 something in there, right? The incredible volume of information. So motion. On the table, uh, I'm going to violate my own rules and second the darn thing for the sake of moving us along. Was it already said? Yeah. Yeah. He said before I seconded it. Uh, so I'm going to trump him and say I officially seconded it so the record will reflect that. Though. Uh, thank you. Any further discussion on this item? Is it clear to everybody what we just said? Clear to you, Allie? Yes, uh, just to, so with a friendly amendment uh, to say that um, I have community uh, ag lands can serve a purpose, perhaps a greater purpose than highlighted in this document, um, and we want more information about return on investment and cost. Did I miss anything? Priority. Priority. Okay, got it. 
and uh, moved by member Quigley, seconded by Chair Wendy. Any further discussion? Public comment to cover all bases online as well. Uh, all in favor, say aye. 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 All opposed, make yourself known. Abstention. Abstention from Mr. Moore. Thank you for keeping me parliamentarily on track, Mr. Wright. Uh, it passes, no, uh, can't say unanimous, but there's one abstention. I'm not sure, I don't want to sure that it matters. Moving on, um, it is 8.40. I think this was a good meeting, robust. There's a lot of content, the updates. If there's, I would rather us bring this meeting to a close right now, given what I think is, it's all important, but there's nothing just hardcore pressing in any of the subcommittees. Are there any chairs or anybody that would like to say, I'm not aligned to that and use this time? Hearing none, I'm closing 10, uh, and then hopefully powers vested in me, I can just adjourn this one right here with, uh, without further updates as we go. Hearing none, adjourn. Thank you all so much for what you do.